0: This is Jocko Podcast number 62 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. The smallest detail taken from an actual incident in war is more instructive for me, a soldier, than all the tears and geometries in the world. They speak, no doubt, for the heads of states and armies but they never show me what I wish to know, a battalion, a company, a squad in action. Concerning a regiment, a battalion, a company, a squad, it is interesting to know the disposition taken to meet the enemy or order for the march toward them. What becomes of this disposition? Or this March order under the isolated or combined influences of accents of the terrain and the approach of the danger is this order changed or is it continued in force when approaching the enemy what becomes of it arriving within the range of the guns within the range of the bullets At what distance is a voluntary or an ordered disposition taken before starting operations for commencing fire, for charging, or for both? How did the fight start? How about the firing? How did the men adapt themselves? How was the charge made? At what distance did the enemy flee before it? At what distance did the charge fall back before the fire or the good order and good dispositions of the enemy or before such and such a movement of the enemy? What did it cost? What can be said about all these with reference to the enemy? What about the behavior? ie the order the disorder the shouts the silence the confusion the calmness of the officers and men whether with us or with the enemy before during and after combat how has the soldier been controlled and directed during the action at what instant has he had a tendency to quit the line in order to remain b- behind or rush ahead At what moment if the control were escaping the leaders hands has it no longer been possible to exercise it at what instant has this control escaped from the battalion commander when from the captain the section leader or the squad leader what time in short if such a thing did take place was there but a disordered impulse whether to the front or to the rear, carrying along pell-mell with it both leaders and men. Where and when did the halt take place? Where and when were the leaders able to resume control of the men? At what moments before, during, or after the day was the battalion roll call, the company roll call made? The results of these roll calls, what were they? how many dead how many wound, wounded on the side and on the other side the kind of wounds of the officers non-commissioned officers corporals privates etc all these details in a word enlighten either the material or the moral side of the action or enable it to be visualized Possibly a closer examination might show that they are matters infinitely more instructive to us as soldiers than all the discussions imaginable on the plans and general conduct of campaigns of the greatest captain in the great movements of the battlefield. From colonel to private, we are soldiers, not generals. And it is therefore our trade that we desire to know certainly one cannot obtain all the details of the same incident but from a series of true accounts there should emanate an ensemble of characteristic details which in themselves are very apt to show in a striking irrefutable way what was necessarily and forcibly taking place at such and such a moment of an action in war take the estimate of a soldier obtained in this manner to serve as a base for what might possibly be a rational method of fighting. It will put us on guard against a priory or pedantic school methods. Whoever has seen turns to a method based on his knowledge, his personal experience as a soldier, but experience is long and life is short. The experiences of each cannot therefore be completed except by those of others. Proofs have weight. And that right there is an excerpt from a letter by a French officer in the French army named Ardent Dupic, And he was in the French army in the mid-1800s, which had him then fighting in the Crimean War, 1855. He was in Syria during the sectarian violence of 1860 and 1861. He saw service in Algeria from 1864 to 1866. And finally... He was a regimental commander during the outbreak of the Franco-Prussian War where he served as the commander for 33 days of his regiment from 15 July 1870 until 18 August 1870 when he was severely wounded by shrapnel and eventually died of those wounds. So... There's something that I really like about this guy, Arden Dupique, and that is that he likes what I like. (laughs) He is interested in what I am interested in, and that is primarily human nature. People. And human beings and how they act under stress and under fear and in the face of death, and then, more important, How do you lead in those situations? And he recognized that war, while just like today, it certainly involves tactics and strategy and technology and politics, but war at its core is about people. Men human beings and therefore the general And the captain and the sergeant and the lieutenant in order for them to master war They first have to master their understanding of human nature and That is what he looked at and that is what we will look at tonight and obviously When you look at human nature in the context of war, it does not change when you put it in the context of life, the rest of life. Now, as we know, combat is like life, but amplified and intensified. So when you see the emotions and the human nature in war, it's much clearer, it's much easier to see than it is off the battlefield in regular life, in the business world. But when you know the undercurrents, it makes you that much better of a leader. And Dupique, like many other great military leaders, especially ones that I seem to like, he was a little bit of a rebel. Spoke his mind. Kinda like like Hackworth, kinda like Patton. He called it out when he saw things going wrong. He called it out when he saw slack. Slack that would lead to poorly trained and therefore poorly prepared troops. So luckily he wrote a lot of his work down. This is a a work called Battle Studies and unfortunately he didn't finish it because he was killed. But he got a lot done. And it is a lot of lessons to be learned in here. So with that, let's go ahead and go back to the book now this is his critique remember I said he was a, a little bit of a rebel so this is uh, talking about Frederick the Great on maneuvers and here's what he said the great mistake in inspections is that you officers amuse yourself with God knows what buffooneries and never dream in the least of serious servers This is a source of stupidity, which would become most dangerous in case of serious conflict. Take shoemakers and tailors and make generals of them, and they will not commit worse follies. These blunders are made on a small as well as a large scale. Consequently, in the greatest number of regiments, the private is not well trained. In Zaramba's regiment, he is the worst. In Fadden's, he amounts to nothing. And no more in Keller's. Earlatch or haggers why because the officers are lazy and try to get out of a difficulty by giving themselves the least possible trouble Calling out the slack and th- that was a bunch of obviously a bunch of regimental commanders that he's saying these guys are not good at what they're doing and they're not Getting after it with their guys and getting them trained up and ready to rock and roll So This is where he kind of lays out what I was talking about and his view of war being primarily about man. Back to the book. Battle is the objective, battle is the final objective of armies and man is the fundamental instrument in battle. Nothing can wisely be prescribed in any army. It's personnel, organization, discipline and tactics, things which are connected like the fingers of a hand without exact knowledge of the fundamental instrument, man, and his state of mind, his morale at the instant of combat. It often happens that those who discuss war, taking the weapon for the starting point, assume unhesitatingly that the man called to serve it will always use it as contemplated and ordered by the regulations. But such a being, throwing off his variable nature to become an impassive pawn, an abstract unit in the combinations of battle, is a creature born of the musings of the library. So legit. So you're saying like, oh, you think these guys are going to go out and just do what you tell them to do? That's a, that's a fantasy yeah. that you can only find in the library. Mm-hmm you won't find it back to the book and not a real man. Man is flesh and blood. He is body and soul. And strong as the soul often is, it cannot dominate the body to the point where there will be a where there will not be a revolt of the flesh and mental petribution in the face of destruction. The human heart, to quote Marshall De Sacks, is then the starting point in all matters pertaining to war. Boom. Think about that. And it's the same thing with leadership overall. People, that's what you're doing. You create cool technology, you make a great product, you wanna build a business, you gotta understand people. You gotta understand human nature. Back to the book. The best masters are those who know man best. The man of today and the man of history. You've got to understand history. This knowledge naturally comes from a study of formations and achievements in ancient war. Boom. Look at what's going on in the past. That's one of the the reasons that I read books in the first place. Because I want to understand what happened in the past. Understand how those human beings reacted to these situations. I want to know that. I wanna know that. Back to the book. We shall learn to distrust mathematics and material dynamics as applied to battle principles. We shall learn to be aware of the illustrations drawn from the range and the maneuver field. So the range where you go shoot a gun and no one's shooting back at you, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, we're gonna shoot the gun and no one's gonna shoot it back at us. Oh, hey, if this guy can shoot 10 rounds a minute and hit his target, on the range, that means I can take him out on the battlefield, and he'll be able to shoot ten rounds a minute and hit his target. Wrong answer. You don't know that. That's actually wrong. Mm-hmm. He's going to shoot a hundred rounds a minute. He's going to miss his target on all of them because he's going to be freaking out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Back to the book. There. Oh, and the maneuver field is where you go out and you march around. And this is training field too, right? You go out, and you march around a training field, or you go around. Even when you try, you know, I, I see some military units, they simulate combat, and it's so cheesy. It's got to be hard. You've got to have chaos in there. Back to the book. There, experiences with the calm, settled, unfatigued, attentive, obedient soldier with an intelligent and tractable man. Instrument, in short. So that's what, that's what, that's what you have in the training situation. All those things. Calm, settled, unfatigued, attentive of all those things. This is what you really get, back to the book, and not with the nervous, easily swayed, moved, troubled, distraught, excited, restless being not even under self-control who is the fighting man from general to private. There are strong men, exceptions, but they are rare. And he mentions that throughout here. Of course, you're gonna get guys that are super calm and super courageous. He mentions that throughout this. But from general to private, get a guy that's not gonna be the same on the battlefield as he is in in training. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Let us then study man in battle, for it is he who really fights. Man does not enter battle to fight, but for victory. He does everything that he can to avoid the first and obtain the second. Boom. Now we start getting a little psychology here. A man surprised needs an instant to collect his thoughts and defend himself. During this instant he is killed if he does not run away. <laughs> Fight or flight. The surprised adversary does not defend himself, he tries to flee. So there you go. That's why you know, one of the tenants of SEAL combat is surprise, mm-hmm. surprise and violence of action. We are gonna surprise you because everybody, when you get surprised, it's you, you, now you're, you're defending yourself and in many cases running away. That's your best action. Mm-hmm. Back to the book, man taxes his ingenuity to be able to kill without running the risk of being killed. This is so fundamental. Think about that. Man taxes his ingenuity to be able to kill without running the risk of being killed. That's what all modern weapons are for, Mm. right? Can I shoot this guy from 500 yards away? (laughs) Mm. That's what I want. We make guns now that shoot around corners. We drop bombs from the sky. We wanna kill without the risk of being killed. Back to the book. His bravery is born of his strength and is not absolute. Before a stronger, he flees without shame. So, and he points out, this is what's what's cool about Dupique is he's done this massive amount of historical studies and he cites all these situations. And he's like, you know, when you're in a bad situation and you're facing a, a stronger enemy, you can just count on the guys are gonna run away. Like Guys are not gonna stand up. How many times have you seen that in a street fight? Oh yeah! Right as soon as as soon as the big friend steps in and says, "Wait a second, you got a beef here with my buddy?" Mm-hmm. Oh no, no, got no problem here. Echo yeah. Charles, I'm good. I didn't realize there was a big Yolte Hawaiian over here getting ready to kick my butt. <laughs> so he, he's saying that bravery is born of strength, and everyone's strong. Everyone's brave when you got 12 people with you and you're mm-hmm. gonna fight one guy. Everyone's brave
1: mm-hmm.
0: when you reverse those roles. Doesn't always turn out that way. Back to the book, collective man, a disciplined body of troops formed in tactical battle order is invincible against an undisciplined body of troops. Boom. Mm -hmm. But against a similarly similarly disciplined body, he he becomes again primitive man. He flees before a greater force of destruction when he recognizes it or when he foresees it. Nothing is changed in the heart of man. Discipline keeps enemies face to face a little longer. But it cannot supplant the instinct of self-preservation and the sense of fear that goes with it. Fear. There are officers and soldiers who do not know it. But they are people of rare grit. The mass shudders because you cannot suppress the flesh this trembling must be taking into a, taken into account in all organizations discipline arrangements movements maneuvers mode of action all of these are affected by the human weakness of the soldier which causes him to magnify the strength of the enemy this faltering is studied in ancient combat it is seen That of nations apt in war, the strongest have been those who not only best have understood the general conduct of war, but who have taken human weakness into greatest account and then taken the best guarantees against it. Powerful. Now, what's really interesting is when you start, you know, when you think about some of these true combat stories you know this guy's around in the 1860s right the, some of the stories that we've talked about on this podcast what makes them so phenomenal is that you can see u.s army soldiers u.s marines just completely defying what he's saying here and say so, no it's a bit bigger stronger force cool we're, we're game mm. we're surrounded by Chinese army uh, at the chosen Reservoir. okay mm. cool we're gonna fight them. are we gonna run away no we're gonna we're gonna go And we're going to stand. So that makes these modern warfare situations even more impressive because you realize that the general, as he says, the mass shudders. The mass shudders. So most people, they shudder with fear and it breaks them down. And, you know, even for me, and I've talked about this, you know, you know, like people always wanna ask about SEAL training. sure. And it's, okay, you're cold and you're wet and you gotta do a bunch of pushups, right? Can't sleep that much. Oh, and you can't sleep a bunch, you know, okay. But they're also feeding you a bunch and it's fun, right? <laughs> sure. But you compare that to, you know, th- that that stuff doesn't even, it's, it's not, it's nothing. Yeah. And my favorite example to compare that to is, you know, a guy, when we were in Ramadi, you got the guy, that's the lead turret gunner going out on a patrol in a Humvee. So he's <laughs> up above the Humvee, exposed to the enemy. And and that guy, wait, on the way out the gate in Ramadi, you drive by this vehicle graveyard where there was 100 vehicles that were blown up and destroyed by IEDs. Jeez. And the IED is going to hit the first vehicle, I mean, most well, often, mm-hmm. right? So there's that guy. He's going to be up there. And, we're, and I'm watching this guy go out on operation after operation. I, Mark Lee is primary turret gunner on many operations. That's why I remember it really clearly. But same thing. Like there's no way that he, that those guys, and that's one. Of course, you got every guy in the vehicle. You got the Army guys that are out there, the Marines. These are guys that I've seen, all of them, looking at this situation, knowing that death is a high possibility. I won't call it a probability, but that's a high possibility. But you know what? Roger that. Yeah. It's rock and roll.
2: You know, when you say how, um, buds training is easy, do you think, I mean, obviously that had some effect, but you know how you go through buds training and that's kind of the, the thing like, dang, I got through buds training that, you know, I'm tough kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then after you go to combat, do you look back on buds training and that's, what's making it seem like it's easy?
0: I just thought it was fun for me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i did. and the funny thing is it's not like buds I, I mean, I was not a great athlete, so it was hard for me to pass the timed evolutions,
1: yeah, and I
0: failed some timed evolutions, and they have a special way of making people fail things, I mean, yeah, yeah. at the time we would do four mile time runs that were five mile time runs, but we didn't know that we just had to run as hard as we could, and yeah. you know we had swims that there's a like, you know, a, a strong ocean current going the opposite direction, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, everyone in the class would fail. Like, I failed to swim like that. Everyone in the class failed mm. except for two two swim pairs. The swimmers. Yeah, the two guys that swam in college yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Those, two, those, those four guys passed, everyone else failed, right? Mm. So, yeah, I failed that. Mm. Uh, so I'm not saying Bud's was easy, right. although there are guys that are great athletes and they have an easy time with the physical part too. And then there's guys that have an easy time with the mental part. Which is probably where I fell into because I was having a good time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you know. Uh, I, I, but I think yes, I think once, I think once you get to combat, because there's you know there's times where guys that obviously are seals and made it through buzz, they don't want to be in combat. Yeah, you know, there's that happens.
2: <clears throat> yeah, because in combat, just to begin with. Never mind, firefights. Never mind, just just starting off. Your mindset is I could die today. Yeah, I was going to Just gonna say, starting off, regardless uh, yeah. of what what happens or doesn't happen, I could die today. In in buds, you would think even though buds guys die in buds, but yeah,
0: but very very. That's rarely. what I mean.
2: So it's like chances are I'm not going to die
0: today. Yeah, you know, v- very slim. Very few people. Usually, when people die in buds, they have some kind of a pre existing condition mm-hmm. where they have some kind of heart trouble that didn't get picked up, or they have some kind of brain trouble, and all of a sudden the pressure of water or whatever, yeah. they. They unfortunately get killed in these horrible situations, but it's very rare, right? Very rare. Especially you
2: compare it to a combat
0: situation. Yeah.
2: Right when you get off the what the plane? Yeah. You're like okay, you know that, and that's just starting out. Just that's that's like a a hundred percent chance that that's on your mind the whole
0: time. Yeah. I mean, it's a factor. You know what I mean? It is definitely a factor. So yeah, I would
2: imagine thinking back. Oh yeah, it's Not that hard. Yeah,
0: I remember thinking about this. The uh, the guys that came and relieved us in Ramadi, so like the next task unit that came over, who were a bunch of great guys, and it'd been a long time since SEALs had been in sustained urban combat like that and suffered pretty significant casualties like we did in Tu Bruiser, and those guys, I was friends with, good friends with a, a number of the guys in there, and and so were Leif and the other you know all the guys we had friends that were back you know back in the in that tasking that was coming to relieve us and it's taking what you're saying and multiplying it times a lot mm-hmm. because when we went to Ramadi we weren't really sure you know oh yeah there's a lot of bad guys there and we'll get after it but it's different when you get there and then you start going on operations and you realize yeah this is this is this is going to be a long yeah. deployment and the chances of us making it through this deployment without suffering any casualties is actually zero. It's zero. Like this is not going to happen. And when those guys came over, again, a bunch of great dudes, you know, I talked to them when we got home and then they got home. And one of the guys, a good friend of mine, and he he came and worked with me in the in the training department and you know, we would have that com- we had that conversation a couple times where you know, Mikey Monsoor got killed, you know, September 29th. And those guys were now coming on deployment a week, maybe two weeks later to come over and start getting a turnover from us. We went home October 21st. So, you know, when I talked to my, to my buddy that was the, the senior enlisted guy, you know, he, he, I said, man, what was that like? And he goes, we were training so hard. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it, there was no, they were just a hundred, a 1, thousand percent Training because yeah. we'd send them back. Hey, make sure you're in good shape. Make sure you can run. Make sure you can do buddy oh, yeah. carries. Make sure you. So they're they're running on the beach keep doing buddy carries all the time. Yeah. They were training so hard because they're thinking to themselves, you know, this is it. Yeah, this is going to be a, a a different kind of deployment. Mm-hmm. And we're actually going to probably have one of those guys from that follow-on deployment on the podcast. Who's a stud? So we'll get him on here in the near future. All right. <sighs> going back to the book now the discipline of the greeks was secured by exercises and rewards the discipline of the romans was secured also by the fear of death they put to death with the club they decimated their cowardly or traitorous units they clubbed them to death clubbed them to death Thanks. in order to conquer enemies that terrified his men a roman general heightened their morale not by enthusiasm But by anger he made the life of his soldiers miserable by excessive work and privations he stretched the force of discipline to the point where at a critical incident instant it must break or expend itself on the enemy that's 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 crazy and it's actually there's a great little clip on YouTube of a marine I think it's I think it's a Sergeant Major in the Marine Corps, but he's giving a little talk to his boys before they roll out. And he's just, he's awesome. And he's saying, why do you think we don't feed you good? We want you to be pissed off. We want you to be pissed off. You got there and kicked their ass. It's, but that's what they're, this is saying. Only, you know, the Marine is being somewhat facetious and playful about it. Mm-hmm. This guy's not. Yeah. They made life hard for these guys and again you can see that even that's a there's a line there's a dichotomy yeah. like you could go too far now you're going to get some kind of rebellion you get it where it's either gonna break the guys mm-hmm. or if you do it perfect they'll take that rage and they'll use it against the enemy yeah kind of like they do with dogs yeah like if you' ever seen fighting dogs yeah for sure they do that back to the book but discipline alone does not constitute superior tactics. Men in battle, I repeat, is a being in whom the instinct of self-preservation dominates, even at certain moments, all other sentiments. Discipline has for its aim the domination of that instinct by a greater terror. terror. Okay, so you're gonna be scared. Discipline, the goal of discipline is to shut down and dominate that fear instinct. Mm. Back to the book. But it cannot dominate it completely. I do not deny the glorious examples where discipline and devotion have elevated man above himself. But if these examples are glorious, it is because they are rare. If they are admired, it is because they are considered exceptions. And the exception proves the rule. So obviously we have heroes. I have heroes. Guys, I, my task unit were that level of heroes that overcame every instinct of self-discipline or of self-preservation to do their job. Back to the book. The determination of that instant where man loses his reasoning power and becomes instinctive is the crowning achievement in the science of combat. So what he's saying there is understanding that what that where that line is with people is the crowning achievement. If you know that, if you know where that line is, that's the crowning achievement. In back to the book in general, here was the strength of the Roman tactics. In particular cases, such successful determination makes Hannibal's and Caesar's. They understood their men. Combat Took place between masses in more or less forma- deep formation, commanded and supervised by leaders with a definite mission. Leaders understood the mission. The combat between masses was a series of individual conflicts juxtaposed with the front rank man fighting alone. If he fell, if he was wounded or worn out, he was replaced by the man in the second rank who had watched and guarded his flanks. This procedure continued up to the last rank. Man is always physically and morally fatigued in hand-to-hand tournament where he employs all of his energy. These contests lasted but a short time. With morale, with like morale, the least fatigued always win. So conditioning, literally we're talking about combat conditioning right there. That's what we're talking about. During this engagement of the first two ranks, the one fighting, the other watching close at hand, the men of the near ranks waited inactive at two paces distance for their turn in combat. So imagine this, Echo. I'm in the front and you're behind me two paces Mm -hmm. and you're going to watch me fight. (laughs) So that's what he's talking about right here. At two paces for their turn in combat which would come only when their predecessor were killed wounded or exhausted they were impressed by the violent fluctuations of the struggle of the first rank they heard the clashes and the blows and distinguished perhaps those that sank into the flesh they saw the wounded the exhausted crawl through the intervals to go to the rear passive spectators of danger they were forced to await its terrible approach these men were subjected to the poignant emotions of combat without being supported by the animation of the struggle they were thus placed under moral pressure of the greatest of anxieties often they could not stand it until their turn came they gave way so that's just a crazy way to think about combat. You're standing behind me, I'm mm. fighting, I get clubbed in the head, they stab me in the chest, I'm mm. dead, yeah, I'm and, look, and actually no, that didn't happen fast. Let's say it <gasps> took two minutes, yeah. right? And you're standing there watching me, you're like, oh, go, hey, woo. and then all of a sudden I <laughs> yeah. get killed.
2: Yeah, And then I'm up. And then you're up. Dang, yeah, that's, when he says like the most anxiety, yeah, yeah. the most, anxiety. imagine you're four guys back.
0: Well, yeah, you're four guys back, and and I can totally confirm this, in combat, the the time when you're when you're waiting to go, yeah. is the worst. Know, like we get bro. to a pre-staging point, and now you're waiting to go. You're like, okay, you got all this yeah. stuff going through your mind. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this guy moves? What if they do this? You got all this turmoil going in your mind, and okay. you're not even. We're not talking about this situation where you're watching your guy get stabbed oh, in the in the throat, know, right? And just standing there watching it, waiting for him to go down so you can step up. And by the way. You know, like you know me, and so if you see me get crushed, and but when we train, I'm crushing you, you know you're oh, walking into yeah. your death, right? <laughs> because, you, you know, like, Jocko, he's good with the sword. Oh, he yep. just got stabbed in the neck. Ew. Now I gotta go take his place against Billy Badass, my yeah. enemy, and I don't stand a chance.
2: Yeah, that's right. So that's why
0: he's saying a lot of, these, a lot of times these people turned and, and gave way. So this is a little bit different. Listen to this. Back to the book. The best tactics were those that made... Easiest a succession of efforts by assuring the relief by ranks of unit in action actually engaging Only the necessary units and keeping the rest as support or reserve Outside of the immediate sphere of moral tension So don't put those guys right there where they can see all the stuff going on Back to the book. The superiority of the Romans lay in such tactics and in the terrible discipline which prepared and assured the execution. By their resistance against fatigue, which rude and continually continual tasks gave them, and by the renewal of combatants in combat, they secured continuity of effort greater than anyone else. So did you notice this part? Their resistance against fatigue came from rude and continual tasks. So these guys were just getting ground all the time. Basically, they lived a hard life, working, basically working out. I'm sure it was wouldn't be what we consider like a metcon, right. but they were hard. Mm. And because they were tough and they were hard, they're physically stronger and more physically conditioned. They did better. And and I'll, you know uh, Dan Gable, I think it. I think I forget the exact quote, but you know the great. American wrestler Dan Gable, conditioning is the ultimate equalizer. Yeah. If you get tired, you feel this in jiu-jitsu all the time. Oh, yeah. If someone gets tired, or yeah. MMA, someone gets tired, it's game over. Oh, it's yeah. game over. Yeah. You cannot. I can crush anybody when they're tired. You yeah. give me, you give me anybody, and you force them to do a hundred burpees and seventy-five kettlebell swings, yeah. and uh, you as know, fast as, as fast as they can, and let me in the ring with them. I'll kill anybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they already yeah. got worn out. Yeah. So, this is actually, this is, like I said, he does a lot of, I I didn't go into a lot of these, but this is Caesar's account of a battle uh, against the Pompeians and at the Battle of Pharsalus. So, I'm I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's pretty, there's some pretty cool points in here. Again, it's pretty cool that you know you know I like first person accounts of things, right? Mm. Let's get a first person account from Caesar up in here. <laughs> and what's cool? Well, it's, he writes; he refers to himself in the third person for whatever reason. I'm sure there's some reason for that, but that's what he does. Here we go, Caesar. In the meanwhile, our soldiers, at the given signal, advanced with javelins in hand. But having noticed that the that Pompey's soldiers were not running towards them, and taught by experience and trained by previous battles, they slowed down and stopped in the midst of their run in order not to arrive out of breath and worn out." That's pretty legit. They're like, "Oh, these guys aren't, these guys aren't running towards us, we don't need to run towards them, to save our breath. Some moments after, having taken up their run again, they launched their javelins and immediately afterwards, according to Caesar's order, drew their swords. The Pompeians conducted themselves perfectly, little compliment to the enemy. They received the darts courageously. They did not stir before the dash of the legions. They preserved their lines and having dispatched their javelins, drew their swords. At the same time, Pompey's entire cavalry dashed from the left wing as had been ordered and the mass of his archers ran from all parts of the line. Our cavalry did not await the charge but fell back a little. Pompey's cavalry became more pressing and commenced to reform its squadrons and turn our exposed flank. As soon as Caesar saw this intention, he gave the signal to the fourth line of six cohorts. This line started directly and standards low. They charged the Pompeian cavalry with such vigor and resolution that not a single man stood his ground. All wheeled about, that's what happens when you flank people. All wheeled about and not only withdrew in full flight but gained the highest mountains as fast as they could they left the archers and slingers without their defense and protection these were all killed at the same time the cohorts moved to the rear of Pompey's left wing which was still fighting and resisting and attacked it in rear (coughs) meanwhile Caesar had advanced his third line which up to this moment had been quietly kept quietly at its post. These fresh troops relieved those that were fatigued. Pompey's men, taken in rear, could no longer hold out and all took to flight. Caesar was not in error when he put these cohorts in a fourth line, particularly charged with meeting the cavalry and urged them to do well since their effort would bring victory. They repulsed the cavalry, they cut to pieces the slingers and arches. They turned Pompey's left wing and this decided the day. Caesar lost in this battle 200 soldiers, but nearly 30 of the bravest centurions were killed therein. Of Pompey's army, of 15,000 perished, and more than 24,000 took refuge in the mountains. As Caesar had invested in the mountains with entrenchment, they surrendered the following day. And that's one of the things that Dupique points out He does a lot of comparisons and we'll get to some of them in the differences between ancient combat and modern combat And one of the big things that he points out is in ancient combat the winner would take very very small amounts of casualties Mm. and the loser would be exterminated in many cases Mm. and what's different about modern battle you know World War two World War one the victor and the loser they're both gonna take really bad casualties. In fact, sometimes they take almost the same amount of casualties. In fact, sometimes the loser of the battle takes less casualties, or takes, takes more casualties. The, the winner takes takes more casualties, but they had more people, they had better maneuverability, they dropped bombs, or whatever. Mm. So that's a really different thing. And that gets into the mental state, because think about if you, if you and I were fighting in a battle, sure, and we knew that if we lost, we would die. Hmm. You're gonna fight harder. Yeah. You're gonna be more aggressive. And when and if the battle started to turn, you were gonna run to try and save yourself.
1: Yeah.
0: Whereas, you know, in modern warfare we take prisoners, you know, you can survive and you can live to fight another day. So you, hey, you know what? Hey, we're starting to I'm just gonna surrender, I'm gonna give up I'm yeah. a, you know, you're not gonna fight with that same kind of vigor. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a comment in here. The order to await the charge given by Pompey to his infantry was judged too severely by Caesar. Caesar certainly was right as a general rule. The enthusiasm of the troops must not be dampened, and the initiative of the attack indeed gives to the assailant a certain moral influence. So, clearly, if your boys, your team is aggressively getting after it, it's not a good idea to, to pull the reins on them. They're, they're, they are they're got the momentum, they're going, they're fired up, let them go, let them rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you don't want to let them run to your death, but you want to maintain that momentum to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. Now, talking a little bit about morale in ancient battle, and this is some of the stuff, again, that I, I have been saying back to the book. It was customary among good people troops to have a clash, but not the blind and headlong onset of the mass. The preoccupation of the rank was very great, as the behavior of Caesar troops at Pharsalus shows in their slow march. At the moment of getting close to the enemy, the dash slackened of its own accord, because the men of the first rank of necessity and instinctively assured themselves of the position of their supports their neighbors in the same line their comrades in the second and collected themselves together in order to be more the masters of their movement and strike and to strike and parry. so that that's not an order that was given those guys instinctively they're getting close to the enemy they slow down they check their flanks they check that they're good to go they check that their buddies are behind them now we're gonna go forward because and I think that's important because it says In order to be more masters of their movements Mm -hmm. they're slowing down so they're ready back to the book there was a contact of man with man each took the adversary in front of him and attacked him because by penetrating into the ranks before having struck him down he risked being wounded in the side by losing his flank support so these guys tried to stay in ranks because even if I even if I'm going against you and I chop you down if I now step into your ranks now I'm exposed my flanks are exposed so I can't do that we got to stay online <laughs> this is something we still do in the military today we got to stay online each one then hit his man with his shield expecting to make him lose his equilibrium and at the end and at the instant he tried to recover himself landed the blow the men in the second line back of the intervals necessary for fencing in the first were ready to protect their sides against anyone that advanced between them and were prepared to relieve tired warriors it was the same in the third line and so that's what we already talked about And by the way this is a cover and move this is an ancient cover and move if I, if I need some help you're gonna be right there to cover for me if I'm fighting f- guy in front of me you're covering my flanks that's what it is it's an ancient cover and move back to the book everyone being supported on the other side the first encounter was rarely decisive and the fencing, the real combat at close quarters began. So after that initial, now is when we get, now is where it gets gritty. If the men of the first line were wounded quickly, if the other ranks were not in a hurry to relieve or replace them, or if there was hesitation, defeat followed. This happened to the Romans in their first encounter with the Gauls. The Gaul, with his shield, parried the first thrust, brought his big iron sword swooping down with fury upon the top of the Roman shield, split it, and went after the man. So the Gauls had some big swords, big guys, and they figured out a little tactic, technique, and procedure. Oh, you got that little round shield? Cool, I'm gonna hack it right in half. And that's what they did. The Romans, already hesitating before the moral impulse of the Gauls, The Gauls, their ferocious yells. So this is the Gauls, their ferocious yells, their nudeness, an indication of a contempt for wounds. So you're, the guy that you're fighting is naked or like not wearing armor, which says, oh, I'm ready to bring it. Like mm. you want to beat me in a street fight, be naked. I'm not gonna fight you, want, I'm not, <laughs> not happening fell then in greater number than their adversaries and de- demoralization followed. Soon, they accustomed themselves to this valorous but not tenacious spirit of their enemies. And this is pretty cool. Back to the book, when they had protected the tops of their shields with an iron band, they no longer fell and the roles were changed. So they made a little adaptation. Mm. Oh, you're gonna hack the top of our shields? Cool, put an iron band in there. What do you got now, gall? <laughs> Bring it. If the weapons were nearly alike, preserving ranks and thereby breaking down, driving back and confusing the ranks of the enemy, was to conquer. The man in disordered, broken lines no longer felt himself supported, but vulnerable everywhere, and he fled. Think about that psychology. As soon as you start seeing the lines breaking down, you don't feel like you're getting supported anymore, boom, I'm out. It is true that it's hardly possible to break hostile lines without doing the same with one's own, but the one who breaks through first has been able to do so only by making the foe fall back before his blows or by killing or wounding. He has thereby raised his courage and that of his neighbor. Common sense, right? You, see, if, I, if I see my buddy take that guy out, I'm getting more fired up. He knows, he sees where he is marching, Whilst the adversary overtaken as a consequent of the retreat or the fall of the troops that were flanking him, he's surprised. This is just, this is just group mentality, gang mentality. Is that right, group thought, group think? I start yeah. seeing my guys getting crushed, I'm gonna get scared. He sees himself exposed on the flank. He falls back on a line with their rank in the rear in order to regain support. But the lines in the rear give way to retreat, to the, to the retreat of the first. If the withdrawal has a certain duration, terror comes as a result of the blows which drive back and mow down the first line. If, to make room for those pushed back, the last lines turn their backs, there is small chance that they will face the front again. Space has tempted them. They will not return to fight. Then, by that natural instinct of the soldier to worry, to assure himself of his supports, the contagion of flight spreads from the last ranks to the first. The first, closely engaged, has been held to the fight in the meantime under the pain of immediate death. There is no need to explain what follows. It is butchery. Yeah. You can, you can see how important it would be to understand those dynamics of what's gonna happen and to apply your tactics in a manner that, as, as I said, in the, as Dupique says in the beginning of the book, apply your tactics or formulate your tactics with that understanding of human nature. Mm. Little interesting note here sword to sword combat was the most deadly it presented the most sudden changes Because it was the one in which the individual valor and dexterity of the combatant had the greatest and most immediate influence So that sword fighting is the is is what takes the most skill, right? Yeah. So I'm, I assume that means if I've got a javelin or if I've got a spear it takes less skill yeah. you get man on man with the sword That's where things count that's where your skill level counts the most yeah, because you can kind of maneuver more with it huh? Yeah,
2: like a big club. You're just kind of oh, I hope I
0: yeah and, Land it and you know, we know from doing jiu-jitsu that you can get really good And and if you go, you know anybody that does jiu-jitsu goes against someone that doesn't do jiu-jitsu they mm-hmm. annihilate them yeah. So imagine the the training that you do with a sword when you knew that how much it was go right oh, on and just killing guys <laughs> <laughs> Yeah Back to the book. Man always has had the greatest fear of being trampled upon by horses. This is a section talking about cavalry. That fear has certainly routed 100,000 times more men than the real encounter. So I, the reason I put that in there is because Jesus is saying, hey, people are scared of horses. They're scared of getting trampled by horses. And that fear of horses has done more to win battles than the actual horses.
1: Mm.
0: You know, we, we did some... You know, for us, like the u s military we 're going against a gnarly enemy we We can put the fear into them too. We have close air support come in and start dropping bombs or at least even flying over
1: mm.
0: and we did we would have you know if we didn 't have a specific target, but we knew bad guys were around, we would sh- shoot like fields, mm. start dropping bombs in fields. Mm-hmm. Like deterrent fires like, Hey, get these guys. Hey, put us some deterrent. There's a field over here. Yes We got no friendlies in that area. Do you see anything? No drop some bombs in there mm. Get send some shockwaves on these bad guys Same thing you're scared of the horses you're scared of a AC 130 <laughs> or an a-10 <laughs> coming down and getting after it or a Cobra gunship or an Apache. Yeah, those things are fearsome machines of death And when the enemy knows those things are around they're gonna run. They're gonna hide Can't always run or hide from (laughs) from an Apache or a a US gunship All right back to the book if we have spoken Especially of the infantry fight is because it was the most serious on foot on horseback on the bridge of a vessel at the moment of danger the ma- the same man is always found. So he's saying, look, we're talking about infantry and we just talked a little bit about horses, but it doesn't matter what the fighting situation is, the same man is always found. Anyone who knows him well deduces from his action in the past what his action will be in the future. So understand that human nature. And here we start talking about again it's, it's this it's this same theme back to the book let us repeat now what we have said at the very beginning of this study man does not enter battle to fight but for victory he does everything he can to avoid the first and obtain the second the continued improvement of all appliances of war has no other goal than the annihilation of the enemy Absolute bravery, which does not refuse battle, even on unequal terms, trusting only to God or destiny is not natural in man. It is the result of moral culture. So that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty poignant, right? Because I've seen some absolute bravery. And there's thousands of individual stories of absolute bravery in our culture, in our U.S. culture. And that's because of our moral culture. That's where it comes from. Back to the book. It is infinitely rare because in the face of danger, the animal case of self-preservation always gains the upper hand. Man has a horror of death. In the bravest, a great sense of duty, which they alone are capable of understanding and living up to, is paramount. But the mass always cowers at the sight of the phantom. Death. Discipline is for the purpose of dominating that horror by, still, by a still greater horror, that of punishment, or disgrace. So th- he's talking about, you uh, You know what, and Tony said this, and w- this is a common team guy thing to say, you know, I would rather die than look like a pussy. Yeah. A- and, and it's like, oh yeah, ha, 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 no, actually it's true. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an actual feeling. It's an actual thought Mm. for sure and that's what he's saying people would rather die than be disgraced and that's powerful but there always comes an instant when natural horror gets the upper hand over discipline and the fighter flees stop stop hold out a few minutes an instant more and you are the victor you are not even wounded if you turn your back you are dead He does not hear. He cannot hear anymore. He is full of fear. How many armies have sworn to conquer or perish? How many have kept their oaths? An oath of sheep to stand up against wolves. History shows not armies, but firm souls who have fought unto death. And the devotion of Thermopylae is therefore justly, Immortal so the Spartans the 300 Spartans Mm. There's a reason why that is an immortal story Mm. because it's rare and it's not a whole army It's 300 Spartans Mm. and Obviously we've seen examples of guys doing the same kind of thing, but that's why they're heroes To ensure success in the rude test of conflict it is not sufficient to have a mass composed of valiant men. The mass needs, and we give it, leaders who have firmness and decision of command proceeding from habit and an entire faith in their unquestionable right to command as established by tradition, law, and society. So it's like step number one, you need good leadership. Step number one, you need good leadership. A bunch of valiant men is not going to be enough. You need good leadership, step number one. Step number two, we add good arms We add methods of fighting suitable to these arms and those of the enemy and which do not overtax the physical and moral forces of man. So you've got to give them good weapons and the weapons have got to be easy to use and suitable for the enemy that you're going against. Next, we add also a rational decentralization that permits the direction and employment of the efforts of all even to the last man. So we have decentralized command. I believe Leif and I wrote about that. Yep. <laughs> it's one of the fundamental principles of combat leadership. Next, we animate with passion a violent desire for independence, a religious fanaticism, ra- national pride, a love of glory, a madness for possession, an iron discipline which permits no one to escape action secures the greatest unity from top to bottom between all elements between the commanding officers between the commanding officers and the men and between the soldiers so those are a series of things that you can have that can fuel this right a passion a a violent desire for independence religious fanaticism these are things that people fight for national pride a love of glory a madness for possession think about that you need one of those elements Have we then a solid army? Not yet. Unity, the first and supreme force of armies, is sought by enacting severe laws of discipline supported by powerful passions. But to order discipline is not enough. A vigilance from which no one may escape in combat should assure the maintenance of discipline. Discipline itself depends on moral pressure, which actuates men to advance from sentiments of fear or pride. But it depends also on surveillance, the mutual supervision of groups of men who know each other well. you got to have relationships. you got to have relationships. And then the relationship has to have inherent in it this attitude of like, Echo, if I see you slacking, I'm going to call you out on it. Hey, bro, we don't do that here. That's not how we roll. You you need to get your game on. And that's you get this mutual supervision of each other based on pride. Back to the book. A wise organization ensures that the personnel of combat groups changes as little as possible so that comrades in peacetime maneuvers shall be comrades in war. From living together and obeying the same chiefs, from commanding the same men, from sharing fatigue and rest, for cooperation among men, men who quickly understand each other in the execution of warlike movements may be bred brotherhood, professional knowledge, sentiment, and above all, unity. So what are we talking about there? You're building this strong bond between The people that are inside this unit that's what you want to do and how do you do it You train them hard they live together they work together they listen to the same boss they command the same people that's what you do and that's when you look at you know you look at military units that's what makes them good you go through that you go through that hard training you get to know your people you build those relationships the duty of obedience the right of imposing discipline and the impossibility of escaping from it would naturally follow and now Confidence appears, and you know what this sounds like? It sounds like a gang. Mm. And I've I often said about Task Unit Bruiser that I was in charge of a gang. Awesome gang. A, an but awesome gang yeah. that did good things for the world, but they were a gang. Gang mentality for sure. You didn't want to. You didn't want to. You didn't want to get called out by the gang. You just didn't want that to happen. Yeah. When someone was messing up, when someone was doing the wrong thing, someone was cutting corners. Tasking Bruiser wasn't going to be; they were going to be on you. Yeah. They were going to be on you. I never had to say anything, guys. I didn't even barely see it, mm. but I'd hear about it. Hey, this guy was doing this, and so we we tighten him up. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I, I, good to go, good to go. Back to the book. Then we have an army. It is no longer difficult to explain how men carried away by passions even men who know how to die without flinching without turning pale really strong in the presence of death but without discipline without solid organization are vanquished by others individually less valiant but firmly jointly and severely combined so you know where you see this in the business world? You see this in the business world where, where you meet people in the business world that are really passionate about what they're doing.
1: They're really passionate, they're really
0: into it. They've created something, they're really into it, they wanna succeed, they're busting their ass. They're really passionate about it but they don't have the discipline. Mm. And if you don't have the discipline, the passion is not enough. You have to have the discipline too. Mm. And, and I'll tell you this, with the, the passion, the discipline without the passion is also equally weak. Mm maybe not as weak but it's equally weak it's close (laughs) we'll say close unity and confidence cannot be improvised they alone can create mutual trust that feeling of force which gives courage and daring courage that is the temporary domination of will over instinct brings about victory unity alone then produces fighters but as in everything there are degrees of unity. Let us see whether modern is in this respect less exacting than ancient combat. These are cool, these are very cool examples right here. And I, I, sometimes I'm like, hey, should I really read that whole thing? And then I think, oh yeah, I'm gonna read the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) So this, but these are just very cool because you're gonna get a direct comparison of Ancient combat, psychologically, and modern combat, psychologically. And to understand one, it's good to have a frame of reference of the other. Back to the book. In ancient combat, there was danger only at close quarters. If the troops had enough morale to meet the enemy at broadsword's length, there was an engagement. Whoever was that close knew that he would be killed if he turned his back. Because, as we have seen, the victors lost but a few, and the vanquished were exterminated. This, this simple reasoning held the men and made them fight, if it was but for an instant. So we already talked about that. You know, If you think you're going to die, you, you're either going to fight or die, you're going to fight. You're going to at least give it a shot. Neglecting the exceptional and very rare circumstances, which may bring two forces together, action today is brought on and fought out from afar. Danger begins at great distances, and it is necessary to advance for a long time under fire at each step with the in which each step becomes heavier. The vanquished loses prisoners, but often, in dead and wounded, he does not lose more than the victor. So I already talked about that. Ancient combat was fought in groups close together with a small space in open ground in full view of one another without the deafening noise of present-day arms men in formation marched into action that took place on the spot and did not carry them thousands of feet away from the starting point the surveillance of the leaders was easy individual weakness was immediately checked general consternation alone caused flight today Fighting is done over immense spaces, along thinly drawn out lines, broken every instant by the accidents and the obstacles of the terrain. From from the time action begins, as soon as there are rifle shots, the men spread out as skirmishers, or lost in the inevitable disorder of the rapid march, escape the supervision of their commanding officers. A considerable number conceal themselves They get away from the engagement and diminish by just so much the material and morale effect and confidence of the brave ones who remain. This can bring about defeat. So modern combat, and again, we're in 1860s. You start charging and the line's broken up and the commanding officer can't. So if you're thinking maybe you wanna just live through this one, you might just get down a little trench, get down a little depression, get behind a tree and sit there and wait. But if we're online in ancient combat, there was nowhere to go. Mm. The commander could see you and your buddies could see you. Back to the book. But let us look at man himself in ancient and modern combat. In ancient combat, this is cool. In ancient combat, I am strong, apt, vigorous, trained, full of calmness, presence of mind. I have good offensive and defensive weapons and trustworthy companions of long standing. They do not let me be overwhelmed without aiding me. I with them, they with me. We are invincible, even invulnerable. We have fought 20 battles and not one of us remained on the field. It is necessary to, pour each other, to support each other in time. Covered move. We see it clearly. We are quick to replace ourselves, to put a fresh combatant in front of a fatigued adversary. We are the legions, 50,000, who have held out against the furious avalanches of the Kimbri? We have killed 140,000, taken prisoner 60,000 while losing but two or 300 of our inexperienced soldiers. So that's sort of a mentality back in the day. And when I say back in the day, I'm talking ancient times, <laughs> way back in the day. Now here's the modern soldier, well at least 1860 soldier. Today, as strong, firm, trained and courageous as I am I can never say I shall return I have no longer to do with men whom I do not fear I have to do with fate in the form of iron and lead death is in the air invisible and blind whispering whistling, as brave, good, trustworthy, and devoted as my companions may be, they do not shield me. Only, and this is abstract and less immediately intelligible to all than the material support of ancient combat. Only I imagine that the more numerous who we we are who run a dangerous risk, the greater is the chance for which for each to escape therefrom. I also know that if we have confidence which none of us should lack in action we feel stronger and we are we begin more resolutely are ready to keep up the struggle longer and therefore finish it more quickly but that is just you know I've, I've talked about world war one how I don't like world war one I, I wouldn't want to fight in world war one because yeah. you doesn't matter how good of a tactician you are you can just you're just gonna charge and it's gonna be horrible
1: yeah.
0: well if you take that a step further I guess I would love to be in a situation where I'm fighting with a sword against another guy because now I could have trained, I could rely on the guys next to me. We could. You have so much control. Because even in World War II, any, any other modern war, like he's just saying, you're not scared of the enemy necessarily. Mm-hmm. You're scared of a random bullet. You're scared of a random piece of shrapnel hitting you. And that mm-hmm. could come at any time.
2: Yeah.
0: So it's the psychology is very, very different. Back to the modern soldier here. We finish it. But in order to finish it, it's necessary to advance, to attack the enemy. And infantrymen or troopers, we are naked against iron, naked against lead, which cannot miss at close range. So, again, you against me with a sword, we got a battle, right? You against me with a gun, if you get your shot off, I'm dead. That's it. Mm -hmm. I'm naked against that. There's no shield going to stop it. I mean, now we have body armor, but your chances of getting hit in the body armor, although it saved many, many lives, but it's not a, definitely not a guarantee. Mm. Let us advance in any case resolutely. Our adversary will not stand up to the point blank range of our rifle, for the attack is never mutual, we are sure of that. We have been told so a thousand times, we have seen it. But what if matters should change now? Suppose the enemy stands at point blank range, what of it then? So he's saying, you know, who's going to stand up when you have point blank range? How far is that from Roman confidence? In another place, we have shown that in ancient times to retire from action was both difficult and perilous matter for the soldier. Today, the temptation is much stronger, the facility greater, and the peril less. Now, therefore, combat exacts more moral cohesion, greater unity. Than previously. So that's exactly what I was talking about earlier. If modern combat, you can find a little, you know, a little ditch to hide in, find a little doorway you're going to get into. Mm -hmm. Especially in this kind of mod. You know, this is a little bit pre World War I, obviously, but they're still charging, right? They're still getting up and charging. Mm -hmm. So because everyone's all disaggregated across the battlefield here we go back to the book supervision becomes more and more difficult direction being more distant tends to be tends more often to escape from the supreme commanders and the subordinate leaders the certain and inevitable disorder which a body of troops always presents in action is with moral effect of modern appliances becoming greater every day so we are getting more and more spread out on the battlefield In the midst of the confusion and the vacillation of firing lines, men and officers often lose each other. Now, we have some improvements nowadays. You know We've got radios that are gonna travel longer distances. We've got devices that allow people to know where each other are. So there's some things there that we've closed up a little bit. But if you think your radio is always gonna work on the battlefield, you're wrong. (laughs) That's why decentralized command is so important back to the book in troops, which do the fighting, the men and officers closest to them from corporal to battalion commander have a more independent action than ever, right? We got to have our troops know what's going on as it is alone. The vigor of that action, more independent than ever, the direction of higher commanders, which leaves the hands of higher commanders available forces, which can be directed at a decisive moment. The action becomes more preponderant than ever battles, now more than ever are battles of men and captains. So this is pure decentralized command. It's pure letting, making sure that everyone knows what the commander's intent is and they can execute out on the battlefield without you having to tell them what to do. They better know what to do on their own. This completes the demonstration of the truth stated before. Combat requires today, in order to give the best results, a moral cohesion. A unity more binding than at any other time it is as true as it is clear that if one does not wish the bonds to break one must make them elastic in order to strengthen them very 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 poignant that right because the more we try and control things the less control we're gonna have in these modern combat and in business Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and in life the more constrictive you are the the more rigid you are the less control you're going to have it's just not going to be able to flex and flow with all the craziness that happens out on the battlefield it's not going to work decentralized command all day day. Back to the book. The art of war is subjected to many modifications by industrial and scientific progress, but one thing does not change the heart of man. In the last analysis, success in battle is a matter of morale. In all matters which pertain to an army, organization, discipline and tactics, the human heart in the supreme moment of battle is the basic factor. It is rarely taken into account and often strange errors are the result. Witness the carbine. An accurate long-range weapon which has never given the service expected of it because it was used mechanically without considering the human heart we must consider it with improvement in weapons the power of destruction increases the moral effect of such weapons increases and courage to face them becomes rarer man does not cannot change what should increase the power of material is the strength of organization the unity of the fighting machine yet these are the most neglected so we run into this all time with with echelon front right we we are leadership that's what we talk about that's what we talk about as leadership and oftentimes when we work with a company what they're focused on trying to fix the problem that they have they focus on the symptom right they focus on the process that this must be messed up or we've got people that aren't following our instructions or we've got we've got growth that we're trying to maintain and it's not coming out the way we want it to, but they're, looking at, they're not looking at the human heart, right? And that's the first thing we look at. That's the main thing we look at. And I'll tell you this 100% of the time, when we go to a company and no matter what the problem is, no matter what the problem is, I will tell you, the solution to the problem is with the leadership, period, end of story, period, end of story. Oh, we've got a process that's messed up. Okay, who's in charge of the process? Give me that person's name, I'll go talk to them, let's get the leadership working.
1: Mm.
0: Oh, we've got decisions that aren't being made. Oh, that's a leadership problem. We've got manufacturing that's, that's not up to speed, it's not good quality. Mm. Uh, is that the manufacturing problem? Is that the problem with the machines? No, there's a leader mm. that's in charge of that. That is allowing this slack to happen.
1: Yeah.
0: It is about leadership. It is about the human heart. Is what is it about? What it is about?
2: Yeah, you said that before about morale. Mm-hmm. And you talk about morale. I think even one of the books said they do something to to lower their morale. Like they were attacking their morale. I think I oh, what, yeah. I think it might have been the Chechens. I forget. Yeah. But
0: well, every army does that. Yeah. Or well, they try to attack yeah. the morale of the enemy. If you can beat the morale you're going to beat the army in many cases
2: yeah because so it's kind of like if you make them not want to fight they're not going to really want to fight
0: or Boom. they're not going to fight you know yeah that's what makes you know in the vietnam war the, what what hurt our morale so bad booby traps yeah. what hurt our morale so bad mortar fire you, um sniper fire and you're losing guys but you're not having anyone to engage against yeah and you're not taking any ground holding that's one thing they did <clears throat> n- nicely in iraq we could see that we were making progress. And so mm-hmm. that although we take, you know, you heard Brian Stan talk about it in, in the area where he was, there was progress was made. Mm-hmm. And you can look at it and see it. And so yeah. therefore, you're making these sacrifices, but you know that there's progress occurring. Yeah. And so that, you're, you're taking hits to your morale, but your morale is also building back up because you mm-hmm. know that you're making progress. progress. Yeah. This is an interesting comment. Four brave men who do not know each other will not dare attack a lion. Four less brave but knowing each other well, sure of their reliability and consequently of mutual aid, will attack resolutely. There is the science of organization of armies in a nutshell. Now this is kind of a strange thing to me because I understand what he's saying, but yeah. I have no, I don't know what they mean by attack a lion. We're going, we got <laughs> guns, do we have swords? Well, it seems like a lion, if four guys, I don't, I don't like those chances. <laughs> no. What do you do? You can't do a takedown on a lion. You do the mataleon Yeah, I know you Get do the Monteleon. Yeah, I, I I understand that, but I think it was a metaphor. Yeah, no, I know it's a good metaphor, but I I try and think of things, you know, or sometimes I think of things in a realistic way. <laughs> sure. Have you ever seen the claws on a lion yet? Yeah, no.
2: yeah no, no.
0: Four guys versus a lion. I don't think it's gonna work out good. If you have no weapons. If you have some weapons. Yeah. But you don't want to be the one guy, like, you know, the sacrificial guy that does the first (laughs) attack so I can get to the neck. Echo, you run at him, bro.
2: Yeah, be the. I got your
0: back. And then I run up and stab it in the head. But that's after you got a jugular removed by his claw.
2: But see what he's saying is if you can rely on me, you'll do it resolutely. I don't know if I can rely on myself being the bait, though. It's kind of whack.
0: Chuck. Back to the book. Anytime a new invention may assure victory. At any time a new invention may assure victory. Granted. But practicable weapons are not invented every day and nations quickly put themselves on the same footing as regards to armament. The determining factor, leaving aside generals of genius and luck, is the quality of the troops. That is the organization that best assures the esprit, the reliability, the confidence, and unity. Again, we're just talking about the technology comes out. That's great. There's something more important than that. And that is the, the the relationships, the relationships. That's what's most important. Back to the book. The purpose of discipline is to make men fight in spite of themselves. No army is worth no army is worthy of a, the name without discipline. There is no army at all without organization, and organization is defective which neglects neglects any means to strengthen the unity of combatants. Methods cannot be identical. This is so, so important. Methods cannot be identical. So you can't just throw this discipline all the same to, to everyone. Listen to this, draconian discipline does not fit our customs. Discipline must be a state of mind, a social institution based on salient virtues and defects of the nations. Discipline cannot be secured or created in a day. It is an institution, a tradition. The commander must have confidence in his right to command. He must be accustomed to command and proud to command. This is what strengthens discipline in armies commanded by aristocracy in certain countries so I just think it's very important because again I don't I don't want people to listen to the podcast go that's right we're gonna lay down the discipline now Mm. at the company everyone's gonna follow the rules no it can't be Mm. draconian it's got to be a part of the culture people gotta want there to be discipline Mm. very important back to the book ancient battle resembled drill and when they say drill you ever seen people marching Mm. like on a parade ground that's drill okay ancient battle resembled drill there is no such resemblance in modern battle this greatly disconcerts both officers and soldiers ancient battles were picnics for the victors who lost nobody not so today artillery played no part in ancient battle the invention of firearms has diminished has diminished losses in battle again this is you can see he was not a hundred percent correct because he couldn't see into the future, but he's saying at the time There was less losses in battle because of the firearms
1: mm-hmm.
0: And obviously that turned out to be true just what 50 years later in World War one we get to Obscene and horrible levels of casualties from the firearms
2: Why is that because they can uh, well as far as what he said because um, they could fire
0: from a safe. Yeah spot I'm sure something. it's because they could fire from a safe spot and the momentum of the battle yeah. and therefore victory and defeat could occur at a greater distance and it meant that once that that occurred, the people could run away. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, oh, we were losing, we we're gonna run away. Whereas in the old days Yeah, hey, you're in the game. You're in the game yeah. and we start to beat you, I'm hacking your head off yeah. and all of the people with you and you are yeah. trying to wanna run away. We got archers lined up and yeah. we're all we're all on a football field, you know, yeah. or maybe maybe five or six football fields. You know, a yeah. thousand yards Maybe 10 football fields. Yeah. We're all there. Yeah. And when we start getting the upper hand, you're you're not going to get away from yeah. me.
2: In fact, you, I mean, according to him, you turn your back to run away. Yeah. You're, that's guaranteed. Yeah.
0: Whereas, hey, we can retreat. We can surrender. And then yeah. guess what? I mean, modern modern surrenders, you know, they take place in almost like a formal, yeah. you know, yeah. you come and your general comes and signs the paper and then we take over your country. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. <laughs> signs the paper. Yeah, no, they signed they signed surrender papers, Germany and Japan both signed, you know, unconditional surrenders.
2: Yeah, it sounded kind of like which is
0: how you're supposed to win wars. Yeah, unconditional surrender. And then the benevolence of our country says, okay, now we'll, we'll help you rebuild. And, you know, you can be a squared away democracy.
2: Hey, remember, um, Here's the, here's a the question. So in war, like if you're fi- like on Saving Private Ryan, there's a sl- small little clip where the guys are like surrendering and mm-hmm. they still shoot them. Mm-hmm. Is that like illegal? Like you can't do that. Yeah, you're right? not supposed to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is illegal. It's against the, the law of armed combat.
2: Re- remember the first Iraq War when the guys were like sur- finding anything they could that was yeah, white. I got
0: asked that on on social media. Guys like, well, what determines? I said, you know, you, you have to do the right thing in combat. He said, well, what the, sir, who determines the right thing? I was like, well, oh, the Geneva Convention, the law of armed combat, next question. <laughs> like, well, there's rules to follow. <laughs> yeah, this isn't yeah. like we're pulling, you know, it's, out of the thin air.
2: No, yeah, it's not a, you know. Not making it up
0: as we go along. Yeah,
2: making it up.
0: Back to the book. The greater perfection of weapons, the more dreadful becomes modern battle and discipline becomes more difficult to maintain. Again, that's why it's so awesome when you see... The U.S. Marine Corps doing the island hopping campaign. Mm. And the amount of discipline that it takes to go, when you're dug in
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you're in a bunker, you're a Japanese Imperial soldier and you're in a bunker and you have a machine gun and you're just, your sights are set on the beach, the amount of discipline that it takes to go onto that beach as an American Marine or, or mm-hmm. sailor, Corman or army soldier—that's coming on. It's just incredible. It's yeah. it's absolutely incredible. It defies what peak is saying. Yeah. Some of the stuff that Depik says about fear and all this, and guys are going to turn. Apparently, he never worked with the U- U.S. Marine Corps. Apparently, yeah. never worked with the Hundred First Airborne. Those guys? No, I mean, I am calling out a couple units, but come on, these guys are—it's—it's it's amazing. It's mm-hmm. amazing the amount of heroism and discipline to overcome that that spirit of self-preservation. And, I, and obviously but you know tons of special operations guys and just it's impressive. It really is. It is very impressive. I was humbled to see that stuff with my own two eyes. Back to the book, the nature of ancient arms requires close order. Modern arms require open order. And they are at the same time of such terrible power that against them too often discipline is broken. So imagine this, this is, a, this is tough because in ancient war we're all close together and so it's easier to maintain discipline but when we all get spread out in modern warfare it's harder to maintain the discipline.
2: Yeah, plus nobody's looking to. Yeah.
0: Discipline in battle becomes more necessary as ranks become more open and the material cohesion of the ranks not giving confidence, it must spring from a knowledge of comrades and a trust in officers who must always be present and seen. So leaders, you gotta be seen. What man today advances with the confidence that rigid discipline and pride in himself gave the Roman soldier, even though the contest is no longer with man but with Fate. Think about that. The contest in modern warfare, oftentimes, not all the time, is fate. Am I going to step on an ID? Am I going to get hit by a random bullet? Am I going to. There's the, the war now is much more random. Yeah. It's much more random. Bad luck can cost you your life, yeah. good luck can save your life. Good tactics will put more luck on your side. Bad tactics will turn luck against you. But there's always luck involved in modern warfare. So that's what you're up against. You're up against fate. So, you know, and I'll tell you, like when he talks about this modern warfare of you know, and even when I talk about like, hey, guys going out in the turret, you know, guys going out on operation after operation in Ramadi. Sometimes, you know, guys would think they're going to die. But a lot of times, like, no, I'm not going to get killed. Mm. It's not going to happen. You know, like you have the sort of a, hey, it's not going to happen. If it does, I won't know it. Check. Let's rock and roll. You know what mm, I mean? It's yeah. a different. So I, I, I want to make sure that I'm not making it sound like the lead turret gunner is sitting up there going, oh, tonight's the night. Yeah. He overcomes that. And one of the ways you overcome it is, yeah, it's not going to happen to me. Yeah. It's not going to happen to me. You know we've heard that from some other books you know they don't think it's gonna happen you never think it's gonna happen to yourself it's gonna yeah. happen to that guy yeah. It might happen to the guy next to me I'm gonna be good to go yeah. it's like when you're on a plane and you think this plane you know if this plane crashes you know a big commercial plane jetliner or whatever mm-hmm. Like I think I'm gonna live <laughs> <laughs> like that's my attitude is like yeah. if this thing crashes I will live you know I'm gonna I will land somewhere and Track using my using my free fall capabilities, sure. and I'll find a pool and I'll track to the pool, mm-hmm. and then I'll get all spread out. In the last minute, I'm gonna, you know, I think I'm gonna live like if you fall out of the plane. No, if mean? the plane or explodes you're... in midair, right? Right, and you fly out, you know, out. like wh- you know, those crashes where everyone dies on the plane. Yes, if I'm on the plane, I'm gonna make it, right? You're the only <laughs> one, yeah, <I laughs> that's dig just, it. That's I just dig like it. the attitude. So, yeah. you can, you can have if I can have that attitude about being on a plane, yeah. I can have that attitude, and a bunch of guys can have that attitude yeah. going into combat. Like, hey, I'm not going to get killed. Bring it. What do you got? Yeah.
2: They can go. I think that's called availability bias, I th- but I think that goes both ways. It's well, like, What's the availability? It, uh, well, availability means it's. I mean, the way the reason they call it availability is because it's available in your mind, just that thought. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of. Oh. So basically. Is that
0: one girl that Lived through one of those crashes back in nineteen seventy five. Yeah, I'm they, like, hey, they, she could do yeah, it. I'm exactly gonna back. Right. Go. I
2: remember. I, oh, I always hear about that heroic yeah. story, even though all the other millions of stories, everybody died. Yeah, like well, like winning the lottery. That's why people buy lottery tickets, even though you like the chance of you dying on the way to buy the lottery ticket is higher than you winning. And there, oh, I'm gonna buy it every time. I'm gonna it's Gonna gonna be someone.
0: Might as well be me. Can't win if you don't play. <laughs> Yeah, so I think I think a lot of guys have that same attitude as I'm talking about, and I know they do because I talked to them about it, or not maybe not specifically, but no one's going. Oh, you know, I'm really now. Believe me, we get guys that think they're gonna die every time they go out. You yeah. know, got some paranoid brothers that'd be like, man, <laughs> I don't feel good about this one. I'd be like, Yo, you're you gonna be okay, buddy? Yeah, yeah. No, man, I don't know. It's, we we what's this? On? It's like, bro, I'm gonna be okay. <laughs>
2: Even even then they sound pretty hardcore though. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well the funny thing is, like one of my most paranoid bros that was always paranoid he was gonna die. He always in fact I was gonna send him home. Not it was the end of deployment. Yeah. And and we had planes and we had to fill up the planes with guys to go home. Mm-hmm. And one of the other guys, a senior guy, said to me, like, Hey, we need to we need to send that guy home. You know, he's really stressed out. And I said, Bro, he's not gonna go home. Cause I know him. Yeah. And oh, like if you
2: say go home, he won't wanna go home. Yeah, he's not oh, gonna yeah. wanna go
0: home. This is a guy that would be like, Man, this is, we shouldn't be doing this off, man. I got a bad <laughs> feeling about tonight, man. Yeah and I'd be hey man, it's cool, you know, you're gonna be all right. I think you're gonna be all right, bro. And then so this other senior guy comes to me and says, Hey, you know, you gotta get this guy on a plane and I go, Bro, he's not gonna go home. I know him, he's not going home. He's not yeah. gonna wanna go home. Dude, he's freaking out. And I go, Yeah, this is the way he is, just his way of dealing with it. <laughs> And he goes, Well, you got to send him home. And I go, I'm not going to send him home because we'll go ask him if he wants to go home. And I go, Okay. So, you know, we're going to lunch or something in our little hut. And I go, Hey, man, I want to get you on, you know, one of these early plans going home because fuck you. I'm not (laughs) going anywhere. I was like, Cool, man. (laughs) Walk back. And he's like, Oh, what do you, he's like, What do you say? He's telling me to fuck off. Okay, cool. I guess we can stay here. <laughs> yeah. but, and, and you know what? He did 10 more deployments after yeah. that deployment. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's a guy that, like, I don't know. That's just the way he dealt with it. He yeah. dealt with it through voicing and voicing his nervousness, but he just did it out loud, chain smoking cigarettes, yeah. getting after it, yeah. and would never, ever want to stay back off an operation, no matter what it was. He'd say, t- yeah. you know, you know, if I ever didn't put him on the the force list of the guys going out, he'd come to me like, "What's, what's, what's your problem? Yeah. Get me on there." Oh yeah, bro. I never
2: can't leave him back. Yeah, it's just how. So it was. It probably wasn't the kind where he really did want to go home, but like how, how you were saying earlier, the culture kind of. I don't allow know what's inside it. of his
0: head. Yeah, but but definitely part of it yeah. is like, hey, I'm not going to be a pussy. i I'm, I might be talking like I'm scared. Yeah. And like I don't want to do this. But don't you dare yeah, try yeah. and send me home, bro. <laughs> yeah, don't yeah, yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah. Now let me have another cigarette <laughs> and get after it's it. Cool. And yeah. yeah, actually, that guy just retired. One of my one of my awesome brothers.
2: Well, when when they say um, when the guys are like, oh, it's not going to happen to me, right? When, yeah. when when you know about dying and stuff, um, is that? Do you think that they really feel that it's not going to happen to me, or is that a thing that they
0: sort of tell themselves? Well, to, I can to, tell you. That oftentimes I did not think I could be killed. Yeah, <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah. hey, this is is not yeah. gonna happen, right? Yeah. Uh, th- bring it. Yeah, go ahead, bring it. And and I guess part of that, a little ten percent of that, was like, hey, if I do get killed, whatever, right, I'm good to right. go. You know, this is it's kind of a good way to die, yeah. right? I don't mind that way of dying, yeah. getting killed in combat, right? I'm a Viking with a sword, and I want to die with it in my hands. I don't want to die the way I'm gonna die now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now I gotta live and get do all this stuff. No, I right? Think that's pretty cool too. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. But um technically, yeah. But so there's a little bit of the. But but I think guys probably fall in that whole spectrum. Yeah. Of guys yeah. that just didn't think they would get killed, and guys that just said they didn't think they could get killed, and guys that thought they were gonna get killed but really didn't think they were gonna get killed. They're just man, you don't know what's going on yeah. inside people's inside people's head. But what you got to do is pay as um, as much attention to it as you can. Yeah. And always be looking at people and trying to gauge where they're at mentally because yeah it's uh it does it does freak people out you know the continual specter of death It can it can hang heavy that's and and you know I was never exposed to the kind of things that these people were going through in World War two going on to going on to a beach going on where you're hey, you know we're gonna take you know 40% casualties first two waves you know that means you're looking at your buddy like, okay, one of us ain't gonna make it, yeah. or one of us is at least gonna get wounded bad. Yeah. I was doing some more. I was doing some reading. You know, just some World War II reading. It's just crazy how those guys were going. I mean, D Day's the same thing. D Day, they they thought they were gonna take even worse casualties, than they did. Yeah. You know, actually, the first Gulf War, I remember hearing a report on on the news. I think it was CNN because yeah, it was it was CNN because that was the only cable news I think at the time. They were saying there's gonna be 40,000 casualties in the first 48 hours. I was like, oh, it's on, <laughs> I'm gonna get some. And that was literally my attitude, you know? Yeah. And of course it was over in 72 hours, nothing happened. That's why I think that lured us into a false sense of security and arrogance. The second Gulf War, we said, oh, we're gonna go into Iraq. Oh yeah, well, you know, we'll probably be done in two or three months or maybe a month, you know, maybe a month. And right. guess what, we got up to Baghdad in what? A couple a couple weeks, a week or two? Right. And boom, we were there. Okay, this is gonna be, yeah, this, this yeah, well guess what? We didn't, we we weren't expecting that insurgency to form, and we didn't do a good job of transitioning the government properly. So we made some, I can't say we made some mistakes. Okay, well, I can say this, we made mistakes, but we, you don't know what's gonna happen in war, right? We yeah. don't know the answers. If we knew what the answers were, we'll, we would do everything perfectly. You just yeah. don't know. It's like It's like playing a football game. Right, You don't know what's going to happen. Not only do you not know what the opponent's going to do, you don't know what p- passes are going to be caught and dropped and what right. the ref's going to call. There's all these variables that you just cannot know. The yeah. only way you can know the outcome of a football game is to play the football game. Yeah. Right. The only way you can know what's going to happen in a war is the war happens. And things are going to happen that you will not expect, ever.
1: Yeah.
0: And you got to deal with them. And we were a little slow to recognize but again we had false sense of security hey we beat these guys last time in 72 hours okay we want to take their country so what's that gonna mean two weeks (laughs) we should be good to go you can never do that you got to be ready for the long haul back to the book in ancient battle unity existed at least with the Greeks and the Romans the soldier was known to his officer and comrades they saw that he fought in modern armies where losses are as great for the victor as the vanquished, the soldier must more often be replaced. In ancient battle, the victor had no losses or very limited losses. Today, the soldier is often unknown to his comrades. He is lost in the smoke, in the dispersion, the confusion of battle. He seems to fight alone. Unity is no longer ensured by mutual surveillance. A man falls and disappears. Who knows whether it was a bullet or the fear of advancing further that struck him. And again, we're talking, these guys are doing sort of World War I style advances, charges on positions.
1: Mm.
0: The ancient combatant was never struck by an invisible weapon and could not fall this way. The more difficult surveillance, the more necessary becomes the individuality of companies, sections, and squads. Dispersion brings us back to the necessity for the unity, which was the absolute necessity in ancient battle. So another another point here. The size of the battlefield permits less than ever holding units together. The role of the general is much more difficult. Many more chances are left to fate. Thus, the greater necessity for the troops who know best their trade, who are most dependable and the greatest of fortitude. So you got to have even better soldiers now. Because you, you you got to train them better. Because they might be out there alone or you know, with two or three guys. There is a strange similarity in battle at one league to battle at two paces. So one league meaning separated by 2,000 meters. Two paces is obviously two paces. The value of the soldier is the essential element of success. Let us strengthen the soldier by unity. And this is obviously this is businesses this is teams the tighter you are as a group the better you're going to perform work that unity the good quality of troops will more than ever secure victory nothing should be neglected to make the battle order stronger and the man stronger this is this is good when in complete security after dinner in full physical and moral contentment men consider war and battle they are animated in by a noble ardor that has nothing in common with reality how many? so everyone's all brave when they're at the dinner table the f- full bellies how many of them however even at that moment would be ready to risk their lives so even when they're at the dinner table talking Really at that moment, how many people are ready to risk their lives, but oblige them to march for days and weeks to arrive at the battleground and on the day of battle, oblige them to wait minutes, hours to deliver it. If they were honest, they would testify how much the physical fatigue and the mental anguish that precede action have lowered their morale, how much less eager to fight they are than a month before when they rose from the table in a generous mood. Man's heart. Is changeable as fortune. Man shrinks back and apprehends danger in any effort in which he does not foresee success. So when we when we don't think we're gonna be successful, we, we shrink back. We get worried about it. There are some isolated characters of iron temper who resist the tendency, but they are carried away by the great minority. Examples show that if withdrawal is forced, the army is discouraged and takes flight. The brave heart does not change real bravery inspired by devotion to duty does not know panic and is always the same the bravery sprung from hot blood pleases the Frenchman more he understands it it appeals to his vanity it is a characteristic of his nature but it is passing it fails him at times especially when there's nothing for him to gain by doing his duty so this is like you know motivation being fickle yeah, right. if you're if you're one of those people, oh yeah, yeah you're super fired up and now you want to go that's gonna fade away yeah that's not the kind of bravery we're looking for yeah we're looking for the constant steady bravery the instinct of self-preservation can make can then make the strongest tremble but they are strong enough to overcome their emotion the fear of advancing even losing their heads or their coolness fear with them never come becomes terror it is forgotten in the activities of command he who does not feel strong enough to keep his heart from ever being gripped by terror should never think of becoming an officer don't become an officer if you're gonna get really scared (laughs) the soldiers themselves have emotions have emotion the sense of duty discipline pride and the example of their officers and above all their coolness sustain them and prevent their fear from becoming terror their emotion never allows them to cite or to more than approximately adjust their fire. Often they fire into the air. Cromwell knew this well, dependable dependable as his troops were, when he said, put your trust in God and aim at their shoelaces. <laughs> That's something that we still teach. You know, when you're in a firefight, you shoot low. Shoot at the ground in front of the bad guys. What? Because you'll hit ricochets, the, the bullets will walk up into the bad guys, ricochets will put stuff in their face, and, You'll at least hit something. Yeah. If you aim high, you're gonna shoot over their heads, you're gonna hit nothing.
2: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't um, Oh, oh Roger, Roger. Roger. Roger yeah. He was saying he was kinda saying that right. Like the new guys
0: shoot I tend to shoot. Oh high. yeah, for sure. He definitely said that. Yeah. yeah. No, they they drilled us into that. They drilled that into us big time. Yeah. You know, walk it in. Yeah, shoot. Walk it low in low low. Low. Shoot <laughs> it through shoot it through <laughs> laces. And hey, that's another thing. When you're shooting high, you don't know where it went. When you shoot oh, through yeah. the ground, you can see where it's hitting. You're like, Oh, okay, boom, I'll walk it in. Yeah. Walk it in walk it on in what makes the soldier capable of obedience and direction and action is the sense of discipline this includes respect for and confidence in his chiefs confidence in his comrades and fear of their reproaches and retaliation if he abandons them in danger this is peer pressure basically is what we're talking about his desire to go where others do go without trembling more than they in a word the whole of the spree decor Organization only can produce these characteristics. Four men equal a lion. (laughs) Esprit de corps is secured in war, but war becomes shorter and shorter and more and more violent. Consequently, secure esprit de corps in advance. This is about training. That's where we're going to establish esprit de corps. Mental acquaintanceship. This is a weird word for like friendship or brotherhood. Mental acquaintanceship. It is not enough to make a good organization. A good general esprit is needed. All wor- all must work for battle and not merely live quietly going through the drills without understanding their application. So you have gotta have everyone understand what's going on. They gotta understand why they're doing what they're doing. Once a man knows how to use his weapon and obey all commands, there is need, needed only occasional drill to brush up those who have forgotten. Marches and battle maneuvers are what's needed. So don't just run the simple drills that people know. This is, you know, the training that I used to run was battle maneuvers, mm. that's what we were doing. And marches, yes, you were gonna get your long walk on, you were gonna get conditioned, you were gonna mm. get tired, you are gonna get fatigued, you are gonna get after it, and you are gonna get tested. Mm. And then some crazy stuff was gonna happen, it's gonna be mayhem. Mm. That's how we get guys ready for combat. The technical training of the soldier is not the most difficult. It is necessary for him to know how to use and take care of his weapon, to know how to move to the right and to the left, forward and back, but this is not what makes a soldier. It is absolutely necessary to change the instruction. He's talking about how the instruction is being run and he's talking how it should be run. It is absolutely necessary to change the instruction, to reduce it to the necessary minimum and to cut out all superfluous information with which peacetime laborers overload it each year. To know the essential well is better than having some knowledge of a lot of things, many of them useless. Teach this in the first year, then in the second, the essential. Also, instruction should be simple to avoid mental fatigue of long drills that disgust everybody, so keep it simple. (laughs) So that is the, the, the viewpoint on training. That is what you have to do. back to the book when confidence is placed in superiority of material means valuable as they are against the enemy at a distance it may be betrayed by the actions of the enemy if he closes with you in spite of your superiority in means of destruction the morale of the enemy mounts with the loss of your confidence his morale dominates yours you flee entrenched troops give away this manner so did you did you understand that so if you're stronger than me, but I attack you, you might just get on your heels and lose. Yeah. And if you think about, it, I mean, you see, you see this in film footage in World War One. People would take, they would take the trenches. Yeah. So you're in a trench position. You've got cover, and you've got concealment, and you've got barbed wire. But someone's still going to come in there, and yeah. when they do, you run.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like you ever see those videos on YouTube where the squirrel attacks the dog, but it's like this big <laughs> dog, but the squirrel gets nuts. You know, and the dog is like, that a, runs is that a away. pond there
0: too? Like a squirrel getting nuts. <laughs> You're good with that. You're good with that one. No, I
2: get, you that was Hawaii, a chance one in Hawaii when you're when you amp out when you you know yeah you get nuts. The guy's getting nuts. <laughs> like you're
0: nuts. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's so. How. So it's weird. You know, it's weird that we talk about that because I was talking about that. I've talked about that when you when you're a kid you see someone losing their temper you see him getting nuts, getting and nuts it's yeah. impressive yeah. and he's saying that's actually true yeah. somebody gets nuts somebody might say yeah it's not. now if you're an experienced fighter and you see someone getting nuts you go oh cool yeah. I got a guy That's going to be winded in about right. 35 more seconds yeah
2: <laughs> yeah isn't that crazy like that's essentially like a fight he's trained that's why yeah. he's trained so he's essentially trained out of the human element that he's talking about that instinctual oh a good fighter you know, yes yeah you know yes. what I mean he's yes. trained Absolutely. out of it. A trained,
0: uh, yes that's exactly what happens with a trained fighter but this is, that shows you how that momentum in battle, in business, in anything. You know, you, oh, you're gonna come at me, I'm gonna attack you. You're stronger than me, I'm gonna attack you. Yeah. That's why it's be, be aggressive, right? Yeah. Default mode's gotta be aggressive, that's why. Yeah. Even advancing, even by advancing, you affect the morale of the enemy. But your object is to dominate him and make him retreat before your ascendancy and it is certain that everything that diminishes the enemy's morale Adds to your resolution in advancing so go on the attack be offensive be aggressive The mere attack does not completely succeed against such troop troops. It is necessary to destroy them Again, I always like to point that out because as we're sitting here talking, we're, it's, it's we, we're even me, we're starting to think of it like a chess game and a video game and all this stuff, but we're actually talking about killing everyone. That's what we're talking about. We can't mm. forget that. Mm. In modern battle, which is delivered with combatants so far apart, man has come to have a horror of man. I thought that was interesting. We don't get this hand-to-hand combat very much anymore. Mm-hmm. These are good. He who calm and strong of heart awaits his enemy has all the advantage of fire. But the moral impulse of the assailant demoralizes the assailed. He is frightened. He sets his sight no longer. His sight's no longer. He does not even aim his piece. His lines are broken. So, again, you're, you're in a comfortable spot. This would what happened to the Japanese, the, the, the island advancing campaigns. They're hunkered down in a bunker with thousands of rounds of ammunition. And what do they see? They see United States Marine Corps coming across the beach. And they go, oh my God, who are these guys and why are they not backing down? And they got frazzled, Mm -hmm. got overrun with good troops on both sides, if an attack is not prepared, there's every reason to believe that it will fail. So this is so, we see how we're going back and forth. It's like each one is contrary to the other one. So he said, hey, if you attack, you're gonna win. But now he's saying, with with good troops on both sides, if an attack is not prepared, there's every reason to believe it will fail. That's because the guys that are waiting the attack have such an advantage. They're dug in, they're covered. They're, you know, again, look at the Japanese. They're they're in a bunker. Yeah. The Marine is on a beach, bro. <laughs> that's that's. you can't get any more exposed your weapon is wet right. you're falling in the water it's a horrible situation
2: yeah
0: we won every single time
2: yeah that's amazing yeah he's kind of talking about all other things being equal right? yeah when he's saying say,
0: other things being equal if the attack is not prepared right. there's every reason to believe that it will fail yeah. the attacking troops suffer more <laughs> materially materially than the defenders the latter are in better order fresh while the assailants are in disorder having suffered a bunch of losses and a certain amount of punishment. I mean clearly you, again, we're going across the beach, any beach, amphibious invasion, you're taking losses, you're disordered the boats are crashing, you're coming through the water, people are drowning. all that stuff is really happening mm-hmm. The slightest this is important. the slightest reaction by the defense may demoralize the attack. So, you see that again. See someone in a, in a street fight coming up, getting in your face, and you just like, like, oh, really? You want some? And it immediately will demoralize the attack. Mm-hmm. Never mind, you know, you, you, you hit them or you choke them because mm-hmm. then now you're in a fight. But if you just, the little thing may demoralize the attack. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, we train. When we get attacked, we attack.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know, if you shoot at us, you're going to feel the heat. <laughs> The more confidence one has in his method of attack or defense, the more disconcerted he is to see them at some time incapable of stopping the enemy. So that's another thing. You think you're all strong, but then when you start getting beat, you just fold. (laughs) Fold. Interesting, co- just a quick comment, there was, back to the book, there is always mad impatience for results without considering the means. So I, you see this a lot in businesses, in the military, where the senior leadership, mm-hmm. they wanna see the results, we want results on this thing, you gotta yeah. be patient. Yeah. Because the whole time you're asking that, Like if I start asking you, Echo, well, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we do this? How are we doing right now? You start going, well maybe I'm failing because I'm not getting any results here. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah.
0: If I you know I need to give you some space and give you some time to let things develop and let you succeed with us very few reason or understand reason very few are cool so again human nature if you only this is important This is very important. If you only use combat methods that require leaders without fear of high intelligence, full of good sense and of a spree, you will always make mistakes. So you gotta plan your plan that it suits the maybe the less superior leader that you might have. Man is always man. He does not always possess ability and resolution the commander must make his choice of methods depending on the troops and on himself (laughs) okay pride generally causes refusal to acknowledge the truth that fear of being vanquished is basic in war in the mass pride vanity in the mass pride vanity is responsible for this dissimulation with a tiny number of absolutely fearless men, what is responsible is their ignorance of a thing they do not feel. Feel, There is, however, no real basis for this and all real tactics are based upon it. Discipline is a part of taxes. tactics, is absolutely at the base of tactics, as the Romans showed. So discipline is more important than, hey, we're just gonna be brave. <laughs> it's not gonna work out for you. Not gonna work out for you very well. I had a. We were just got to Ramadi, and I pulled the the officers in to it was actually the radio room where we had radios. So I just wanted to talk to the the officers. And I said, "Hey guys, look, give me a long deployment. It's gonna be rough, and we gotta pay attention to guys that get." You know, combat fatigue and it's going to get, you know, guys will get scared and it's going to break them down and all that. Mm. And one of the junior officers was, he said, he literally did not believe me. He was like, that's, he he said, that's not going to happen to our guys Mm. because we had a bunch of, you know, badass studs. He goes, that's not going to happen to our guys. Um, We don't need, we don't, we don't need to worry about that. I said, okay, Mm. well, I hope you're right. Mm. And then about two months later, he goes, you were right about that. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know. And, you know. So let's find out who we gotta take care of, get him some rest or whatever and we'll do our best. Back to the book. Our infantry no longer has any battle tactics. The initiative of the soldier rules. The soldiers of the first empire trusted to the moral and passive action of masses. Today, the soldiers object to the passive action of masses. They fight as skirmishes, or they march back to the front as a flock of sheep, of which three fourths seek cover and rout if the fire is heavy. So you think you oh, know we'll just march to the front? No, three quarters of your guys are to not make it, <laughs> not going to make it to the front. Maneuver is possible only with good organization; otherwise, is no more effective than the passive mass of ra- of rabble in an attack. In ancient combat, the soldier was controlled by the leader in engagements. Now that fighting is open, the soldier cannot be controlled. Once, often, he cannot even be directed. Consequently, it is necessary to begin action at the latest possible moment and to have the immediate commanders understand what is wanted and what their objectives are. Decentralized command, obviously. Self-esteem is unquestionably one of the most powerful motives which moves our men. They do not wish to pass for cowards in the eyes of our comrades. If they march forward, they want to distinguish themselves. After every attack, formation no longer exists. This is because of the inherent disorder of every forward march under fire. The bewildered men, even the officers, have no longer the eyes of their comrades or of their commander upon them, sustaining them. Self-esteem no longer impels them. They do not hold out. The least counter-offensive puts them to rout. So just talking about being separated and how before we had everyone watching us, now no one's watching me. I guess what, I'm gonna take a little, take a little cover over here in this trench. Do you object that no one ever gets within 200 meters of the enemy that a unit attacking from the front never succeeds so be it. Let us attack from the flank. No pres- this is important this is important in combat no prescribed interval will be kept exactly. it will open it will close following the fluctuations of combat and this is true with any plan business plan. It's not going to be what you thought it was going to be. It's not going to go as planned. There's going to be fluctuations in what you told people to do. They got to be ready for that. You got to be ready for that.
1: Mm.
0: Oh, I love this one. <clears throat> Absolute rules are foolish. Absolute rules are foolish about it. <laughs> if you find yourself saying never or saying always, you better put a caveat on that. Mm. Those are too strong. There's no such thing. this is very rare. Actually, I'd say there's no such thing. Maybe I could think of an example, yeah. but. I'm sure there's an exception even there, to that. Yeah, even to the one that I could think of. There's <laughs> gonna be an exception. This is cool. The infantry square is not a thing of mechanics of mathematical reasoning. So, so the infantry square was a tactic they used. They, and they hear, they'll they tell how they formed up. A platoon in four ranks, two facing the front two the rear, its flanks guarded by the extreme files that face the, to the flank and conducted, supported by non-commissioned officers placed in a fifth rank in the interior of the rectangle, powerful in its competence and fire cannot be dislodged by cavalry. So he's talking about this infantry square and why it's such a good tactic.
1: Mm.
0: Why? Moral reasons and no others make the soldier in a square feel himself stronger than when in the line. He feels himself watched from behind and has no where to flare. So you might think like, well, they got good 360 security and that's why it's good or whether well, they're, they're in a unit that's easier to control. What it is is, hey, when I'm in this square, I know someone's got my back, I know someone's got my flank, and I know that the people are watching me and counting on me. Mm. So I gotta fight hard. That's why the infantry square worked really well. Fire by command presupposes an impossible coolness. Had any troops ever possessed it, they would have mowed down battalions as one mows down cornstalks. So he's saying, look, this idea that you're just gonna tell me to get online on my command, shoot, no, they need to have freedom. And the only thing that creates calmness under fire is security, mm-hmm. security, just like a quarterback. What's gonna make him calm under fire is when he has good defensive people keeping the O-line, the O-line keeping yeah. the... the what the defensive line at bay, it's mm-hmm. gonna keep them cool under there I mean obviously some guys get pretty cool under some yeah. pressure Yeah, not as cool as they are when they got a good, good. line just yep. holding the line As always oh sorry always always take draconian measures to prevent pillage from commencing if it begins It is difficult ever to stop it. So you got to keep you got to hold the line keep your troops disciplined Here's a little dichotomy of leadership coming at you. A leader must combine resolute bravery and impetuosity with prudence and calmness, a difficult matter. That's the dichotomy of leadership. You gotta be calm, but you gotta be brave. You gotta be prudent with what you're doing, but you, at the same time, you gotta be a little bit rash and be aggressive. Good times. Okay, he lays out a little information here about generals and being in high command. So, when, this is, when this is, we're talking about CEOs, we're talking about senior leadership. When one occupies a high command, there are many things which he does not see. The general-in-chief, even a division commander can only escape this failing by great activity moved by strict conscientiousness and aided by clairvoyance. So you have to be able to like see. You have to have a clair- clairvoyant skills. This failing <gasps> extends to those about him, to his heads of services. So you're the CEO. You're not gonna know everything that's going on. The only way you do, you do know what's going on is by being really proactive and finding out what's going on. And by the way, it's not just you that doesn't know. All your little... All you other people in the C-suite, they don't know what's going on either. You lose a lot of that stuff unless you're super proactive. Mm. Now, here's some examples. These men live well, sleep well. The same must be true of all. They have picked well-conditioned horses. The roads are excellent. They are never sick. The doctors must be exaggerating sickness. They have attendants and doctors. Everybody must be well-looked after. Something happens which shows abominable negligence common enough in war, with a good heart and a full belly, they say, but this is infamous, unheard of, it could not have happened, it is impossible. So you gotta be careful of that detachment when you get to the senior leadership positions, when you start going, oh, those guys in the front lines. What's wrong with it? What can they possibly be complaining about? It can't be that bad out there. Actually, it can. Now we'll talk about a little micromanagement. Back to the book, today there is a tendency whose cause should be sought on the part of superiors to infringe on the authority of the inferiors. This is general. It goes very high and is furthered by the mania for command, right? People that want to be controlling everything. Mm -hmm. It results in the lessening of the authority of subordinate officers in the minds of their soldiers. So when you're micromanaging, you're hurting the authority of your subordinate leadership. This is a grave matter as only the firm authority and prestige of subordinate officers can maintain discipline. The tendency to oppress subordinates, to want to impose upon them in all things the views of the superior, not to admit of honest mistakes. Right? We don't want to make mistakes, so we want to impose on them all things the views of the superior, not to admit honest mistakes and to reprove them as faults, to make everybody, even down to the private, feel that there is only one infallible authority, and that's me. A colonel, for instance, sets himself up as the sole authority with judgment and intelligence. He thus takes all initiative from subordinate officers and reduces them to a state of inertia coming from their lack of confidence in themselves and from fear of being severely reproved. How many generals before a regiment think, of, think only of showing how much they know? Ugh, don't be that leader. They lessen the authority of the colonel. That is nothing to them. They have asserted their superiority, true or false, that is what is essential. With cheeks puffed out, they leave, proud of having attacked discipline. That one really bothers me. But it's, you know, here we are, 1840 we're talking about, 1860 we're talking about, 1865, 1880. We're talking about micromanagement. We're talking about micromanagement, right? We're talking about the upper echelon, not knowing what's, these problems that we deal with with businesses all the time at echelon front, We this is what we deal with. Mm. And it's hard for people to see that they're doing this because they don't know it. Mm. Even though this is such a common, trait that we can go back thousands of years and see, people don't recognize it. Mm. Oh, this one bothers me. Ask much in order to attain, obtain a little is a false saying. A source of errors and an attack on discipline. One ought to obtain what one asks. It is only necessary to be moderately reasonable and practical, so this is like, hey, Echo, we need to sell 10,000 of these new units we've made. Be, and, and what I'm really hoping is that you sell a thousand. Mm. That's not that's not a good way to do. It. If I want you to sell a thousand, that's what I want you to make. You know, I want you to make a thousand of these new units. Okay, mm-hmm. make a thousand. I don't tell you make ten thousand and hope that you can know. Think well, that's a disaster. Don't do that. Man's admiration for the great spectacles of nature is the admiration for force. Again, we're getting into a little bit of human nature, just a little touch. In the mountains. It is mass, a force that impresses him, strikes him, makes him admire. In the calm sea, it is the mysterious and terrible force that he divines, that he feels in that enormous liquid mass, in the angry sea, force. Again, in the wind, in the storm, in the vast depths of the sky, it is still force that he admires. All these things astounded man when he was young. When he became old, he knows them astonishment is turned to admiration but always it is the feeling of a formidable force which compels his admiration this explains his admiration for the warrior the warrior is the ideal of primitive man the savage the barbarian the more people rise in moral civilization the lower this ideal falls but with the masses everywhere the warrior still is and for a long time will be the height of their ideals. This is because man loves to admire force and bravery that are his own attributes. When that force and bravery find another means to assert themselves, at least, or at least when the crowd is shown that war does not furnish the best examples of them, that there are truer and more exalted examples, this ideal will give way to a higher one. Don't think it's quite happened yet. And a one last note on decentralized command. Napoleon said, he quotes Napoleon, The only method of fire to be used in war is fire at will. So <laughs> when you're trying to control your teams and their every action because that's really the that's the that's the action of a soldier right just to fire
1: mm.
0: when you try and control that you are micromanaging in many cases mm. you need to let them operate on their own and now I'm going'm gonna, going close out this uh, piece of battle studies right here We're going to August 15th 1870 and this is about in the first month of the franco-prussian war colonel de pique was with his regiment on the outskirts of a town called mars la tour in france and they started to receive artillery fire and this section or this quote is from the history of france's 10th infantry regiment so they start taking some shelling and here we go the colonel had arms taken at once and disposed the regiment north of the road which being elevated provided sufficient cover for the men he himself stood in the road to put heart into his troops by his attitude they having been a little startled by this surprise and the baptism of fire which they received under such disadvantageous circumstances. Suddenly, a shell burst over the road a few feet from the colonel and mutilated his legs in a frightful manner. The shell caused other ravages in the ranks of the 10th. The commander of 3rd Battalion, Major Deschenes, was mortally wounded. Captain Ray was killed. Lieutenant Pone, 3rd Battalion, 1st Company, and eight men of the regiment were wounded. The colonel was immediately taken to the other side of the highway into the midst of his soldiers and a surgeon called, those of the regiment already being engaged in caring for the other victims of the terrible shot. In the meantime, Colonel DePeak asked for Lieutenant Colonel Doliak delivered to him his saddlebags containing important papers concerning the regiment and gave him his field glasses then without uttering the least sound of pain notwithstanding the frightful injury from which he must have suffered horribly he said with calmness my regret is to be struck this way without having been able to lead my regiment on the enemy they wanted him to take a little brandy he refused and accepted some water which a soldier offered him. A surgeon finally arrived. The colonel, showing him his right leg open in two places, made with his hand the sign of amputating at his thigh, saying, Doctor, it is necessary to amputate my leg here. At this moment, a soldier wounded in the the shoulder, placed near the colonel, groaned aloud. Forgetting his own condition, the colonel said immediately to the surgeon, See first, doctor, what is the matter with this brave man? I can wait. Because of the lack of instruments, it was not possible to perform the amputation on the ground as the colonel desired, so this much deplored commander was transported to the Metz Hospital. Four days later, on the 19th of August, Colonel Ardent de Pique died like a hero of old without uttering the least complaint far from his regiment far from his family he uttered several times the words which summed up his affections my wife my children my regiment my wife my children my regiment Adieu. Goodbye. And so we see a man who, despite his intimate knowledge of the fear. And the immense strength that the instincts of self-preservation hold yet he showed no fear and overcame his own instincts of self-preservation and maybe maybe that's because he knew them so well he understood them so deeply that he was able To overcome them and maybe of all the incredible lessons we can learn from Colonel Dupique perhaps the most important one is for us to realize why it is so critical for us to increase our knowledge not just of war but of all things so that we have the knowledge and the understanding to confront and overcome those things, the good and the bad. So learn. Learn about your strengths and your weaknesses. Learn about strategy and tactics. Learn about fear and hesitation. Learn about human nature. And learn about yourself. Test yourself. Find out who you are. Find out where fear and hesitation might cause you to back down or to fall short. Learn and understand yourself so you can overcome and conquer the limitations of your natural instincts and replace them with the will and the discipline to overpower and overcome everything in your path and I think that's all I've got for tonight so echo Charles yes speaking of Learning and gaining knowledge Yeah, man. maybe you could convey some knowledge on how to support
2: this podcast time for support sure yes. of course I Feel like we should start with on it. Good places. You know, don't break this, the the cycle the routine the ritual if you will So on it best supplements in the Straight up in the world. I think <laughs> he's calling it, huh? Yeah. Brows is funny. Like, I sound kind of sick. I was like talking last week. I'm all talking. Rrr! You know, you're trying to not be sick. Remember? Oh, yeah, On that's your right. thing. Look at me getting sick. Guess, yep. guess what I did?
0: Shroom tech immune.
2: Boom. Ordered it
0: today. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have that stuff on standby. Because you know what you can feel when you're getting sick?
2: Yeah. I, I yeah. totally deserved it. Just the how... I was, actually, I didn't really say anything bad, but I, I deserved oh, it.
0: Oh, so you were deep inside. You were looking at me... You, Weakness over No,
2: there. yeah. Oh, well, no. I was more like, because I hadn't bought it yet. You know, we knew it was there. We were mm. like, Shroom Tech Sport, because that's what I need. I don't necessarily need immune, because I'm not no. sick. But then I'm again, once you're sick, it's kind of too late. You know, kind of. Anyway, nonetheless, lesson learned. Shroom Tech immune on the way for me.
0: I, By the way, I didn't get sick. Like, I just barely touched on getting sick, and I b- b- amped up the vitamin C. I amped up the Shroom Tech immune. <laughs>
2: that fires you up huh cuz it's like a little battle you yeah. know and yeah, victory, it is a battle you know it is the morale was high after that one yeah <laughs> yep i flanked him I like to put the shroom tech immune yeah big time but yeah so to kind of go down the list and i think this is important is people ask me and not the kind of like how i say it, you know how people say people been asking me and it's like two people their mom Mm-hmm. and then they're like your neighbor or something <laughs> your brother yeah and it's like oh people have been and then it, no, i was actually talking to my brother about this because he said that too he was like oh people have been asking me this and then i was like teasing him i was like oh yeah like some, two people ask you and you're like but here's the thing let's say if three people ask you the exact same question in yeah. like three days that's one person a day that's not very much but if they're asking the same question that's a lot of people asking you really feels like it
0: okay anyway well, people, so a lot of people have been asking people me this been asking question, me you know three of uh,
2: them is the on it stuff for real is that for real good you know and and what do you take so here it is if you don't know already officially on uh what do you say on the on the roster mm-hmm. right on the everyday consumption or OPC, whatever yeah um i have on it total strength and performance that's not every day that's only when i do metcons and, and workout. yeah As sometimes needed. i'll use it for jujitsu. yeah shroom I, tech i used shroom tech the other day for jujitsu. reminded me of why i used it before it was good what did the advantage i'm not going to tell you
0: oh because i didn't notice any
2: differences. um it wasn't the uh what <laughs> was it the other day yeah yeah, it was the other day with oh. you. Okay. But we didn't really roll hard because you were taking it easy on my rib, and I thank oh, you for you're that. Oh, you here. That's right. But I didn't feel tired. Like it wasn't it was good. Anyway, so Shroom Tech uh, total performance and strength, total strength and performance. Shroom Tech as needed. That's for like you know hard output, sustained stuff. Jiu-Jitsu rounds, Metcons. If you're into CrossFit, take that Shroom Tech. Get you right through it. It'll keep you in the in the green, maybe in the yellow, maybe. Um, and then. Krill oil, of course, mm-hmm. daily, daily, essential. Um, you you like the strong bone, right? This is yeah. the, that's for joints. Yeah. Joints. Yeah. Um, You know, you get these joint. Pay- you know, I refer a lot of stuff back to jujitsu because jujitsu is like a, a sustained. So true tech, you know, and it, it can mess with you. If you're getting after it five days a week in jujitsu, even yeah. three sometimes, if you're not used to it, you take the um the krill oil. Takes you right oil. up. Yeah. yeah. Krill oil, uh, I got the, the gourmet peanut butter, it's not peanut butter, yeah. it's like cashew, almond, you know, it's a try blend butter, that one's good. You like um, that one? Yeah, yeah, warrior one's really bars. good.
0: And warrior bars, for okay. sure. When I go on trips now to speak at companies or work with companies, a lot of them in their little snack area, Yeah, warrior bars. <laughs> they know all about the warrior bars Then the know, yeah, it's good. It's so good, though, because yep. what are they going to do, put donuts out for me? i'll straight up (laughs) yeah Yeah,
2: and oh no no donuts um it's on it is interesting in that way i don't know how much you browse the website but when i'll go in there i'll browse it just to see like i'm not gonna buy you know women's t-shirts for myself you know no, but I'll just browse just, just to oh, see oh but you, you still know? read about the women's yeah, Well, well, no not necessarily That's women cool. but I'm just saying even do, if man. I'm That's not cool. in the market for some stuff I'll look and they have like all kinds of like new stuff like um, you know obviously protein powder and stuff but they'll have like wellness stuff they'll uh, multivitamin they have toothpaste oh I didn't know that deodorant yeah oh, Interesting. I'm not saying get the toothpaste and deodorant I'm just saying it's interesting how much new stuff they're always like coming out with oh and I forgot to say the kettlebells that they have I'm all up on those.
0: Primal? Bells? Legend bells. legend bells. And then and there's zombie bells. That's zombie what I, I have, bells. zombie bells. Yeah. Because I want
2: something yeah. that looks, you know, zombie, disturbing and no. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> how much is the, um, or how, how much does it weigh? The what, one I have the 40K? Have? Dang. The 80-something pound one? Yeah. Dang, that's good. I have the werewolf one, two werewolf ones. Those are like sixty two pounds.
0: I keep the zombie bell in the house. Oh, it's like aesthetically no, pleasing. No, no, oh, you no. you jump on it spontaneously. Yeah, because, because in my garage I've got a bunch of kettlebells. Right. But those are all older than on it, right? Yeah. But in my house, I got the the boom, the zombie bell. Yeah. Cause that way you just hit a couple snatches. Right. You will wake up. Yeah, yeah. Hit a couple snatches, hit a couple swings, you're good to go.
2: Do you do the one where it goes boom yeah. and hits the back of your yeah. You gotta get used to that. Don't you just gotta, jump but, into but, that.
0: But yeah, there's some reason. You notice it when you first start kettle but you don't notice it after a while.
2: Yeah, just well You're not ready for you the you. No,
0: you know what you do is you use your grip at least I do I use my grip to like slow it down a little uh, bit. Yeah, there's a friction. little bit of friction there yeah. <laughs> Crank good. it down It's get like a little soft little landing on there Dang, yeah, that's a good
2: idea <laughs> So you kind of use the, the the zombie bells kind of like your you know How some guys I think it was you who was telling me you have two geese you have one gee You never really use unless it's like picture-taking time mm, That's not me <laughs> <laughs> the, and it's called the Hollywood. That wasn't you, the Hollywood gee, and no, the action gee. Absolutely gi. not. I the Hollywood gee is like it's 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 a legit gee. Like most gees are, They're, you can roll in them, but you you kind of keep it, you know, in the, yeah, in the no. closet, hung up. When it's, you, still roll. Okay, i you do you, do you even know me at all? <laughs> <gonna be> doing <laughs> I that? thought it was you. Long time. Maybe you changed. I don't know.
0: I didn't change.
2: Nonetheless, um, if I have a gee,
0: cool. it's gonna get rolled in. Dig it. Period. Man. I dig it. Otherwise, why would I have it? Oh, that's right to take pictures in no <laughs> next question whatever
2: oh by the way Jock was in Jiu Jitsu magazine taking pictures the other day yeah i yeah. said it yeah maybe on the cover maybe not i don't know <laughs> um anyway back to on it we all know okay best supplements in the world these are all the things what they if you if you take a supplement for something like from on it you're
0: still doing on it right yeah, now
2: the, yeah i'm gonna continue okay. to do on it Go. because it's worth Go. it this is valuable information if I was on the other side of this, I would hope that somebody told me this information. Well, that is
0: true, and I think, like for instance, krill oil—you do not know about krill oil, yeah—and now you know about krill oil. You yeah, are, you are sore and getting old and decrepit yep. Yep. Boom! You started mm. taking krill oil. Boom! Back no, in the game. Back in the yeah. game. Yeah,
2: what's so what's thats a good point. What's bad point about taking krill oil, though, is I did my my wife's dad, my father-in-law, would always say krill oil is better than fish oil, and be like, whatever, health, not even Look at me—I left. Yeah, I gotta admit to it. <laughs> All good. Anyway, you know that the supplements you take from Onnit are going to work. That's the good thing. And there's a bunch of cool stuff. Even it goes above and beyond supplements, like the, the peanut butter, the nut yeah. butter. You said dope. this There's right. a lot of stuff. Yeah. I'm just a small reminder. All good. If you want 10% <laughs> off, though. Yes, that's a, Here's that's the support part. part. Support the podcast. Support yourself with the supplementation. Support the wallet with the 10% off. Go Onnit.com slash Jocko. Boom. Boom. Another way to support. Amazon click through. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to support And it's super easy It takes no time Before you do Amazon shopping Go to the website JockoPodcast.com Over on the side Here's the thing too If you have an ad blocker It might, it might block these little banners there oh. Which is cool That's a safe thing to do You know You block ads and pop-ups and whatnot But know that this will happen Most of the time Most ad blockers Anyway Banner on the side Go JockoPodcast.com Over on the side There's a banner That Amazon Click through that Then do your shopping that helps a lot. Supports a lot. Reinforcements. Another way, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, if you haven't already. Do you know what I haven't said
0: in a while? What? Review.
2: Yeah, Review? Yeah, Kick a, a review on there, man. Yeah, Kick yeah. a
0: review on there. Tell them what's up. And there's been... Hey, there was a, a review of Jocko White Tea. Yes. Have you read? <laughs> it's the best review of all time. Yeah. And it's... The th- basic theme is... Brew, brew, <laughs> brew, <laughs> yeah. brew, brewing up the tea again, and it goes <laughs> yeah, through yeah, an entire. I, is the best review of all time. Yeah, I saw that one. So I agree. that is what I, I mean. Just the best thing about that. What when I when I read that, and of course I get it. Yeah. But what I love about that is when I read stuff like that, I think about all the people that, that know nothing about anything that we're doing (laughs) and they just read that and say like what do they think what is going through their mind so when everybody puts all these crazy reviews on on amazon or on the podcast Mm -hmm. i gotta admit that i find them entertaining
2: yeah i would think if you you don't really know and you see just all the the i wonder what a person
0: could figure out that's what could they deduce yeah they deduce like get after it because a lot of people say that that yeah they're, they're, but there's a lot of stuff that yeah it, I would freak it, people out
2: it, yeah no but that would at least make them think like dang there's there's a lot to this thing this thing is heavy this isn't just white tea or this isn't you know this yeah. is heavy I gotta look into that unless they're scared or whatever intimidator that's not for me which it would be strange but it would be strange Nonetheless, yeah if you're in the mood write a review
0: you know you're feeling creative get creative whatever good yeah you can get creative on alt. You can get creative on Because the reviews actually help That's the thing Yeah You know you might think It doesn't mean anything yeah. But A We read them B It helps It helps Like Amazon It helps the ranking in Amazon It helps the iTunes ranking for sure Yeah So that's cool It's yeah. another good reason to do it But mostly do it Just to crack me up And make people think That all yeah. of us are psycho yeah. And express like. yourself that's a good you point too. Yourself. No you
2: know. I should
0: read that brew. Maybe if we'd ever do a commercial <laughs> yeah. for Jocko White Tea, that's what we should do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dang, that's a good it says idea. The, the, the chorus is there's no tea leaves in the poor. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. All right. Very much so.
2: Um, also, subscribe on YouTube. We're putting out more videos, you know. Which is pretty dope. It's pretty dope. Concerned. Sure. I don't know. Videos to watch. You wanna you know shorter You got some in the
0: hopper too, right?
2: I got a few in the hopper, yeah. I have like three in the hopper.
0: Which is kinda different. Do you think you should prioritize and execute? Yeah. Or do you just do you just like creating three different things at the same time? No,
2: because a lot of time and I this may may or may not be the most disciplined approach, but like kind of go with the wave you know Mm -hmm. so it's like oh man this one really like i'm feeling this one you know so oh let's make that one into a video and i just start and then i'll get
0: hit with something else that you said or whatever it's all these artistic things you got going on in your mind yeah actually i do that with books this is you know i read a lot of books and i will definitely read a book and if it's Kind of slow moving. I'll read another book at the same time, and then yeah. when I get bored with one, I start reading yeah. the other one. Like f- Hump. I can have up to three books going at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So man. that's actually not a bad idea.
2: There you go. See, and mine is a lot like. I just figure if you're real into it, do it. It comes out like better. I don't know. Yeah, it's what it feels like anyway. So you know, I'm gonna stick with that for right now, unless it you know produces roadblocks, and then you know we'll change the strategy. But they are coming along. Videos YouTube subscribe if you haven't already. If you're in the mood to support. You're under no obligation to subscribe to anything. By the way, of course. But if you're in Freedom the mood to choice. That. Totally. totally, totally. Um, also, Jocko has a store. It's called Jocko Store. URL: jockostore.com. We have uh, shirts. If you like t-shirts, cool. Multi-dimensional, multi-layered, philosophically layered <laughs> t-shirts. Some travel mugs on there. The travel mugs. We're still. Working what was the on layer it?
0: I was telling you about the other day? Which one? I don't know. I was talking about a layer. There's layers and things. Oh, this is what it was. The book, "Way the Warrior Kid." Mm-hmm. There's a layer here because the illustrator for the book oh, of yeah. "Way of the remember. Warrior Kid" mm-hmm. is a guy by the name of John Bozak. Mm-hmm. John Bozak was my brother growing up. My mm-hmm. friend growing up. Good friend. One of my best friends growing up. And when we were kids. We were in the hardcore bands and we were playing rock and roll music and stuff. And one of the bands that we were in was a little band called Bronson's Children. So the layer here <laughs> oh, is dang. one day I posted a picture of an old silk screen t-shirt for Bronson's Children, Yes, which I think we should personally reproduce we're gonna and look into that get after it. Because Charles Bronson was, a, was awesome, right? Mm-hmm. He was a legit... Guy. He wasn't an actor like we have nowadays that were you like, oh would you you know, uh, I'm an actor. No, he was like, Oh, I was a I was a tail gunner in World War II, barely survived, and I came back and got a job making movies about badasses. That's Charles Bronson. Yeah. By the way, grew up in you know, like a he was like a coal miner. Hmm. He was in the mines in some steel town in Pennsylvania, barely spoke English because he was a Polish immigrant. Anyways, with an attitude like that's why that's why that book band was named Bronson's Children. Yeah, so yeah, the layer right. here is interestingly enough cuz I don't have a lot of friends, right? Never have. But the layer here is the couple the few friends that I have, I'm good friends with. Yeah. Good deep. Yeah. And so that old Bronson's Children t-shirt silk screen was designed by my guy that was in the band with me, whose name is John Bozak, who now has illustrated Way of the Warrior Kid. Dang, that's some layers. That's like yeah, layers. In the, yeah, that's layers. Good. So cool. Just do a good, good job
2: there, Just good. Yeah, it's awesome.
0: Um, but yeah, layers. Sorry, layers.
2: Yeah. Hey, let's go back to the store real quick. Uh, the yeah, the shirts. Whatever they have, layers. Cool if you listen you know these layers or you'll pick up on them which is you know I guess kind of makes it fun. by the the
0: way I have never thought these layers were super deep right you you I think you think the layers are deeper than I think they are yeah I do the one that I I kind of was a little bit I liked was the layers on the equal sign on discipline equals freedom and you made it like a barcode which matches the layers of the font which is OCR Mm mm-hmm standard yep. which can be read by a computer just like the equal sign apparently by the barcode. So I yep. like where you're coming with there's yep. some layers there.
2: Yeah the ob- like what you OCR uh, standard the original font.
0: The first font. You know what we should be do be is red. next t shirt. Let me help you put layers in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we can not say what the layers are and have right. people report See, the layers.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually the good shirt uh, layers are uh, apparently are kind of deep because i've got more than one inquiry about this they're like hey did you realize that the word good is spelt backwards it's, it's like i don't know if that's a mistake i don't care it's a cool shirt but it's spelled backwards <laughs> and i was like yeah no man it's it's for you that message is for you telling yourself that but it's kind of jocko saying it that's why you look at it in the mirror it's not for <laughs> other people to show your cool shirt Sort of is, but that message anyway
0: so you Layers. Yeah, I didn't think that was too subtle, though.
2: I, hey, man, you know, to each their own. Certain people see, you know, people yeah. are different. Their minds, some are creative. In I'm gonna come ways. up with a shirt that's got layers, <laughs> layers,
0: layers for days. People are gonna have to do analytics, yeah, and analysis yeah. of the layers on the shirt. Yeah,
2: man. Good, good, good idea. We're gonna You'd do be, it. You
0: have a shirt that's so layered that no one understands what it is. Yeah. Sometimes that happens in literature. It's just when I was going to college, you, something that had so many layers. I, I'd say, you know what? This has so many layers. It's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you have to break out a microscope yeah. to see the layers, yeah. why put them in there? I know, if man. Four people on planet Earth are going to understand the layers you put in this crazy poem that you wrote. Why did you do that? Was that good? If only four yeah, people can fine. get it, no, it's bad.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's bad for our thing. I want the people to to wind up getting. I
0: it. want some people to be able to get them yeah i think layers should be a little bit harder to yeah. see yeah like that's e- what i e- think kind. yeah
2: yeah man yeah you don't need to i guess you don't need to <laughs> for a while
0: you weren't talking about the layers you thought that was too much layers, now you, layers back to came back,
2: you know i didn't want anyone to go into layer fatigue or nothing yeah. like this but yeah they're back the anyway thing. layers on the t-shirt they're good well you know they're quality shirts they're not like the cheap you know i didn't go to target and buy a bunch of undershirts and then hey let's and spray paint them in the garage no they're good they're good anyway chocolate some hoodies on there some patches some cool patches um, and rash guards just take a browse don't buy anything i'm not saying go buy something i'm saying look at it you like something you're in the mood to support get something get something in return there you go also psychological warfare is doing well and when i say doing well i mean it's out there like making a difference that's and, true and i remember there was actually uh, you know whatever a few weeks ago i said oh yeah i don't need it anymore it like i got my boost in it but yeah i needed it <laughs> i went right back to it and boom yeah, worked there. easy money yeah it's that's there. that's the genius what of it. what did you really, need it
0: for what's what was the scenario the
2: workout the same as always like man, i could, I could easily i got some today. projects
0: to finish up right now and um so I love to wake up early in the morning and work out, but I got to prioritize next week right now and finish some projects. It, it. And so like today, yeah. I didn't, I woke up and wrote because I got projects uh, yeah. and it's it's so easy. If you don't work out in the morning, it's so easy to not work out. And because by the time I had this, and then I didn't get where I wanted and then I had something else and then yeah. I'm trying to work on this and then the email. So now, because what I want to do is like, hey, I'm just going to go get a pre lunch workout, like 11 o'clock. In the morning, get in there and get it done. And all of a sudden, it was eleven thirty. All of a sudden, it was twelve. All of a sudden, it was like twelve ten. Get the workout started. Mm -hmm. And now I'm a little bit hungry. And (laughs) you know, you 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 have a little thought of you know what? Maybe I shouldn't work out. (gasps) But I actually didn't have that thought. (laughs) 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 I said, you know what I said? Cool. I'm tired. I'm fasted. And. I don't feel like working out, so I'm definitely gonna work out right now. I'm gonna make it a good one. So that's yeah. what I did. Well yeah, but not everybody's like that, bull. No, well and like the voice that's in psychological warfare, I actually have to live with that yeah. asshole all the time. So, <laughs> so you, know, right? yeah. you know, there's no, no <laughs> there is no like it doesn't I it never it never presses pause, it never stops. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's always in there telling me, yeah. get to the gym. <laughs> yeah. You don't wanna work out, good. Get in there and crush yeah. yourself. That's I have to live with that guy. So Yeah.
2: It's good, which really is the the originating story of psychological warfare. Yes, so, if is. you don't know, psychological warfare is a album with tracks that you can purchase from what? No iTunes? music. There's no music.
0: Correct. It's. Do you think it should have had music? Uh, well, okay, maybe, but the problem is there's too many different types of music.
2: Yeah, and it wouldn't have the same effect. I don't think that's true. So I, like, I agree with you.
0: Yeah. So because otherwise, uh, I would have said he put some little. Instrumental, whatever. Yeah. Well, here's
2: uh, some like if there's music on certain things, like you like to listen to certain, like you know, you hear a speech of I don't know Martin Luther King or somebody saying like a speech and want oh, you want to get cool. inspired. Put, yeah, it'll work for sure, but that's not really what this is in that specific way. Yeah. It's more like you actually talking. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it's a good point. It's like you're part of like it's your like own when brain. You see a,
0: uh, like the movie No Country for Old Men. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that movie. There's, there's no soundtrack. Yeah. It's no just music. the, the yeah. actual sounds of earth and yeah. people and walking. And that is such a cool effect. Yeah. So I think you're right in this case. Yeah. No Country for Old Men, by the way, written by Cormac McCarthy, who also wrote Blood Meridian.
2: Dig it. Dang.
0: Yeah. Layers, by Dang. the way. Layers <laughs> all over.
2: <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> Alright, um, yeah, that's uh, that's it Psychological World, oh I didn't finish explaining what it is So it's an album you can get, iTunes Amazon Music, whichever And they're Basically, you listen to it if you're ever feeling a moment of weakness before you want to go, you know, work out before or you or want to do
0: something or not do
2: something. Or not, yeah, if you're making a decision and you're choosing the short-term payoff over the long-term payoff, yeah, like essentially. Donuts, eating donut, or just messing up your diet with donuts or sugary stuff, or, or donuts, skipping <laughs> <a workout.
0: laughs> When know? I was going to Airborne School, yeah. there was a Sergeant Major, and he was some black guy from Georgia. And 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 for some reason, there's the Chattahoochee River down there. And he says, uh, let me tell you what, you go down in that Chattahoochee River. So he's talking about if you're parachuting and you end up in the Chattahoochee, you better watch out. There's snakes in the Chattahoochee (laughs) and there's alligators in the Chattahoochee and snakes and vines that'll wrap you up in snakes. (laughs) Snakes in the Chattahoochee. (laughs) I always thought, you know what? Keep clear of the Chattahoochee because there's <laughs> snakes in there.
2: <laughs> right. You yep. So is that kind of what you were trying to replicate there with the psychological
0: warfare? No. Uh, I forget what I just did, but it led me into that yeah, story no, that about was a good the story. snakes in the Chattahoochee River.
2: Yep. You got to beware for sure. Beware the sugar-coated lies. I don't know. Yeah. By the way,
0: your impression of what, what was his name? I have no idea. Yeah, he was so he was what's called a black hat at at Army Airborne School back in the back in the day. <laughs> The Navy used to only go to the Army Airborne School, okay. so you get done with SEAL training, yeah. and you're all in good shape and feeling. And then you show up at Airborne School, which is a which is a, a much it's a less strenuous school than yeah. SEAL training. I mean, there's all you're not special operations <laughs> if you go there. I mean, any pretty much anyone in the Army or many m- m- very many people in the Army. So it's a it's a three week school. It's a good school. I mean, obviously the biggest thing you got to overcome there is not physical. It's the fear of heights or whatever yeah. fear of jumping. But yeah, so you go down there, and the black hats are the guys that run airborne school. It's a totally professional thing. It was a lot of fun, and that that sergeant major though, he was awesome. Yeah. He was he had the crazy eyes. You know what I mean? He sure. Guys with crazy eyes. So we had the and the one other thing he said to me one day because he liked me. You know why he liked me? Because I was getting after it. <laughs> Hell yeah! And he said to me, he goes, "Hey," and I don't think he, I think he called me like Navy. Yeah, that's what he called hey, me. Navy. He just called me Navy, right? Because yeah. d- d- they don't know what our ranks are, so he just <laughs> called me Navy. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, "Hey, Navy," and I said. What's up? Yeah, I was like I think you said clear. For some reason you said clear, Sergeant Major or something. I go clear, Sergeant Major. And he goes, Let me tell you something. When you get back to your SEAL team, one day I want you to come over to JSOC and we'll have fun killing motherfuckers. <laughs> now, what do you think I, I was I was like nineteen years old. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I am so in <laughs> Wherever you go, <laughs> so, Sergeant Major, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm yeah. in the game. Yep. So, yeah, that was uh, Sergeant Major Black Hat Dang. down at Airborne School. You kind of sound like a Taj Mahal, the
2: singer. That's I don't who, even that's know who he, that is. God, he's a blues singer, man. I actually grew up with his family on Kauai. Oh. He's a traveling guy. But, yeah, he's a blues singer. Anyway, Wait, he's what a, guy?
0: He's a blues singer. Oh, okay. But he's from Hawaii? He's, well, he's not from Hawaii. But, I mean, had, how can you really get a lot of blues when you live in
2: Hawaii? I think you'd be surprised, <laughs> man. You sound like him, your little imitation yeah. there. It's good. We have
0: fun killing motherfuckers. <laughs> he <laughs> never said that, yes. but
2: you know. Anyway, there it is. Psychological warfare. Sounds more like Jocko, not, the, not Taj Mahal. And he tells you, he convinces you that making the long term decision to stick with the discipline path, he gives you that boost mm-hmm. in your head. So it's like. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. Anyway, check that one out. You want to get one of those or all our other just the albums? Good. It's been number one. It's been straight up number one. Straight up number since one since day one. Since day one. Yeah. So
0: everyone that's Gotta be that's hooked reason. it up. Thank yeah. you for for so that's a good way to support the podcast too. Yeah, dig it. Is because it costs nine ninety nine to buy the album. Yeah, the whole right? thing
2: is like And you know
0: charts. what? We we were like, oh, should we? How do we do this? Ooh, hey, it's nine ninety nine. Boom, done. Yeah, you can get it. And you're supporting the podcast. So that's cool. Also, you know, another thing you can get is Jocko White Tea. You can get it. It's in stock, by the way. way. And it's going to stay in stock. I'm a little nervous about saying that, but it's going to (laughs) stay in stock. Because you know why I'm confident in saying that? Because I bought a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Because I don't play around. When I make a logistical error and we end up with no Jocko White Tea and everyone's angry about that, myself included, guess what? We're going to do something about it. So we have stock. We get a lot of stock, and you actually know that you need it because deadlifting. You know you need that eight thousand pound increase, which, by the way, is guaranteed. It's it's guaranteed to happen. We're hearing about pull ups now too. People that are trying to get better at pull ups are going from ten to twelve pull ups. Now we're getting numbers up around one hundred and forty seven minimum, and the other thing is the jiu-jitsu if you're training the jiu-jitsu and we're probably gonna have to add a warning to the label of Jocka white Tea, because we got people out there that are just randomly throwing Camuros. they can't stop it <laughs> they're meeting somebody boom they're throwing a camera on them just on the regular just landing Camuros all over the place so you got to watch out for that little warning it's on Amazon that's if you're here in America if you're on international orders go to eBay and get it from the official listing of the Jocko podcast. It's like sold by Pro Resourcing, yeah. which is actually going to change in the near future because we're getting more involved in the actual, what's that called? The fulfillment of the tea. Yeah. We're joining some it's forces. Like streamlining. Also. Yes, yeah. yes. While you're on Amazon, also, there's a book um, called Extreme Ownership. Referred to it a couple times tonight, possibly by. Me and my brother Leif Babin, and let me tell you what you do is you lead within your company or within your team. You infiltrate with extreme ownership. Get a copy for your subordinates. Get one for your bosses. Spread the word because it will it will actually improve your alignment and your effectiveness as a team. It will. And one thing I noticed, I was at a company that we were working with, and it's very impactful. Just when people read the book, all of a sudden they have a common language. They're referring to the problems in the same way. They recognize the problems clearly because they've seen it and they all understand it. And it improves the communication and the understanding between the groups because they know what the problems are because they've been identified in the book. So make that happen. And also you can get a little copy of a book pre-order it's called way of the warrior kid and you might be thinking oh well i'm not a kid i'm an adult doesn't matter you actually need this book too so there's a part in the book when uncle jake is trying to explain to his young nephew mark what discipline is and why it is important and that it starts discipline starts by getting up early in the morning and of course Mark he just thinks discipline is sort of like following the rules so Uncle Jake has to do a little explaining to him and this is what Uncle Jake says that's one kind of discipline but it isn't as simple as just following the rules people give you the most important part of discipline is following rules you set for yourself it is doing things you might not always feel like doing things that make you better Then Uncle Jake started getting really intense, intense. Listen, if you want freedom from being bullied at school by Kenny, you have to have the discipline to go to jiu-jitsu class and learn the skills to defeat him. If you want freedom from ridicule when you do pull-ups at school, you have to have the discipline to train so that you can do pull-ups. If you want freedom to swim in the water and enjoy your school field trip, you need the discipline to overcome your fear of the water and learn how to swim what about school do you want to be free of being stumped on tests and not knowing the answers to the questions they ask you then you need the discipline to study and learn the material they teach you And when you get older you're gonna want financial freedom that means having enough money to do what you want without worrying about it and the only way you're gonna get financial freedom is by having financial discipline by saving money and not wasting it on things you don't need and that discipline starts with getting up early in the morning so that's a little hit from my uncle Jake right there so uncle Jake is you know he's clearly mentoring and helping his young nephew mark who's got some shortfalls that he needs to correct and uncle Jake helps him do that so all kinds of lessons to be learned in there for all of us. And, you know, lessons about how to study, how to overcome fear, how to get stronger. So order yourself a copy and do it now. This is the thing, we wanna do it now. Again, I pointed this out before. We want the publisher to print enough so that there's not a shortage, right? If everybody waits, then the printer goes, oh, need that's many copies. And then everyone orders it when it comes out and now we have a backup and everyone's angry. So. Order it now, that way we have enough when it rolls out. And get one, you know, get one for the kids at school, the classroom, the library down the street. Get the word out there. I wish, I wish I had this book when I was a kid. I wish I had this book when I was a kid. So it actually comes out May 2nd, and then, by the way, two days later, after May 2nd, after this book comes out, it's gonna be time for the extreme ownership muster number 002 in new york city may 4th and 5th marriott Marquis in new york city we're finalizing all the details right now and i'm telling you what it's gonna be awesome we're gonna get after it and it's gonna leave a mark it will have an impact on you it's intense it's gonna be powerful and you're the other cool thing is you're surrounded by all these other people that are all in the game out there crushing it, every imaginable industry, every level of leadership, just getting after it. So sign up, book your ticket, get your hotel room, and by the way, I mean, obviously, Leif is gonna be there, I will be there, so will J.P. Donnell. Of course, Echo Charles, he's gonna be rolling around, cruising as he likes to say. Dave Burke, who's now a new to Echelon Front (coughs) team, JP's been on the echelon front team for a little bit. You know, Basically came on the podcast and we said, you know what, we gotta get you in the game. Mm. So JP's in the game, obviously. And Dave Burke, just coming on right now. Done a couple, worked with a couple companies so far. Was in the Marine Corps, fighter pilot, Top Gun. Top Gun instructor, by the way. And also was with us with Tasking a Bruiser. As the Anglico team leader in the Battle of Ramadi, so awesome guy. He's going to be coming on the podcast here soon. I'm so, so can't wait for that. And uh, also, I'm telling you, we will be hanging out with you, talking, discussing things, overcoming problems. There's no backstage, no green room. I'm not that guy. <laughs> no, none of that. No curtain behind to hide behind. Just us. All of us all these guys I'm talking about including echo Charles. We brought echo Charles up on stage last time He didn't like that. No, he's doesn't like public speaking I think you need to give a speech like a five-minute speech about something No, okay So come on out and do that and uh, until the muster until we do get there in the meantime um, You know that you can find us on the interwebs on Twitter on Instagram, and even you're gonna find us, right? They're on that Facebooky boha. We are there, and we are interacting on the interwebs. Echo is at Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink, and to close this out, to the warriors out there in the world giving us freedom and protecting this country. A country, by the way, where we can say whatever we want where we are blessed with unprecedented freedoms in thought and speech. Thanks to all you servicemen and servicewomen out there in the world holding the line right now, protecting those freedoms and keeping evil at bay. And the police and law enforcement that do the same for us here at home, keep us safe from evil. Thank you for putting on your vest every day. And to the firefighters and the EMTs that are standing by 24 hours a day. Think about that, 24 hours a day to come and help us. And of course, we never say thank you or we never even see them until some unforeseen horror comes. And that's, When you're there for us, so thank you for your vigilance and to everyone else Listening to this podcast Thanks for going down this path with us this path of learning and Gaining knowledge and trying to get a better understanding of the world and trying to get a better understanding of ourselves So we can all recognize and overcome our weaknesses and our faults and we can all get out there and get after it so until next time this is echo and Jocko out